This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program. It's getting closer every day. One step closer to utopia or Christmas. The time when all your children's dreams come true. Or they wake up extremely disappointed in you. Like, that's it? (laughs) That's all you got? Oh, man, it's crazy. And I haven't done uh, a lot of the shopping I've needed to do. But luckily, I won't be able to go today either. Why? I just get to work and then work and then work. You have an assistant. Till 10 o'clock tonight. Don't you have an assistant? Uh, Yeah, but my assistant won't shop for me. It's not a very good assistant. Kind of rude. Yeah. I need a new assistant that will do my shopping. It's hard because we have children from 23 years, 22 years down to 10. Wow. So, you know. It's a wide variety of It's a wide variety. And then, you know, our elf was a little off this year. Yeah. He was shelfless. Have you have you looked into that situation on maybe making a change? Yeah, oh yeah, we fired him. You fired the elf. Yeah. Are you going to rent an elf? We talked about yes, yeah, that yesterday. No, no. Bucks an you know, hour. I feel weird renting an elf. Just having a grown man sitting in your living yeah. room. Yeah, it was kind of weird. Especially when you know he's like an actor. Yeah, but I mean, he said he'd babysit. Yeah, creepy. Would That's he do? Creepy. Would he do like yard work? Yeah, oh, that'd be great. I mean, if he's sort of a hybrid, if he could elf. shovel the walks <laughs> out there in his tights, yeah, no, that's it's. I tell you, and we're about to get pounded by snow. Apparently, right now it's starting. It's raining. Yeah, but here in uh, right here in River City, Provo, it's starting to snow. And in what New York and D.C. over Christmas, it should be almost in the seventies. A balmy seventy. 70 degrees Miami, for Christmas? Miami said that, I saw yesterday, 84 in Miami for Christmas. I know, can you believe that? Yeah, it'd be great. Sort of. Well, yeah, but come to the mountains. Yeah, and freeze. Where we have snow. Freeze and almost die on the freeway because you're trying to drive home. Yeah, there's something weird about my house. My bedroom is 10 degrees cooler than the entire house. You it's, don't enjoy that? Well, Yeah. Until, like, your arm falls as frozen solid. Okay. But, yeah. Get a space heater. Nah. Too much work. Really? Go buy a, something and plug it in? Well, no. Then, no, my wife would be like... It's too hot? This is going to start a fire. Yeah. Well, she's... No, it's not a hoverboard. We have a, we have a fireplace, we, and we I got turn that on, and she's like, let's turn that off. I think we're going to die. <laughs> Just put on a sweater, then. You'll be fine. I am fine. I just, wear a jacket. I, I'm going to wear those sleeves that they wear, the NBA stars wear. Oh, okay, yeah. Just the the sleeve that goes up to my shoulder. Yeah, like a compression sleeve. Yeah. Yeah, for no reason. No, I think I want to keep my arms warm in case they call yeah. me off the bench. <laughs> then I can go hit it. Hey, uh, we got a great uh, guest coming up. Dr. Tim Hagel will be joining us. Have you ever wondered why Iowa is such a big deal? Every how, year. Like, how come Iowa has the first right of refusal? I, I was president. searching about this topic. Why, 
why is Iowa important? You look that up on Google. And every election cycle, there's a whole series of articles. Why? why do we still do this? <laughs> and it's 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 a small state like Utah, but it's like three million people. And not as diverse as most other states. So what's the deal? Why do they choose? And it also seems like it. everyone's gunning for Iowa. So people that like. It kind of skews the election, yeah, to at least the, the, like the more beginning conservative, of it, it yeah. seems like. So people take more extreme positions and then they try to walk them back the rest of the election process. Meanwhile, then, the, then uh, New Hampshire's having a battle to see who's. More, I don't know, moderate, I guess. Who's more liberal? I don't know. Yeah. I it's just, like... Yeah, you almost have to be two different candidates yeah. in the first two contests that which, you go up for. Which is a great idea if our goal is to try to see who's the biggest fake. Because if you can run Iowa and New Hampshire, you're a freak show. Yeah. You can, you can be whatever you need people to be or whatever you want the people want you to be. I don't know. It just seems weird. Uh, has Donald the Don? Yeah, he seems like he's he's quieting down. No, not at all. <laughs> yep, he's offending Hillary Clinton, which is so interesting. I mean, to me, this is a smart play by the Don. Maybe not what he's saying. No, because he's offensive. Yes, but I mean, he's now talking about her break. Why she didn't make it back to the podium. In time. Play that. It's clip four. ISIL training videos are telling lone that would not be the clip easiest four. way to con- buy a combat assault weapon in Doesn't America sound is like at a Don? gun show. No. And it's because of but the- no, it- skip it. He said it was disgusting. I'm not, I'm not going to talk about it. It's disgusting. Like, well, everyone knows what happened. Why are we talking about what's it? What's disgusting? You, you use a restroom. Hers, her restroom happened to be at the college, was yeah. further away. Right. And she took more time coming back. And apparently, and- a staffer from someone else's campaign from O'Malley's campaign, I believe, had to use the restroom. So the person that was kind of guarding it for Hillary said, hurry, okay, go ahead. And then Hillary got there to go and boom, delay. And then but Hillary's like, every woman, she didn't say this, but the idea is every woman knows you have to wait. Women, you have to wait. Women always wait in line. But Donald's like disgusted by it of all things. And then he said all the other offensive Issue, uh, other offensive things. I don't, I don't, but I like that if Donald's going to attack somebody, attack the Democrats. You know? Well, right now, because, I mean, that can't hurt him. Punching down doesn't work. So fighting off your Republican, well, yeah. when, when you already have a, a lead that's fairly large nationally. I, I think this confirms something else that we've been, we've been worried about. He and Cruz, the Don and Cruz, have a quiet, silent pact. You think so? I do. And that's why Don, he's not hitting. Who who else should he hit? The only person he should be beating up is Cruz because he's losing in the polls to Cruz in Iowa. So he should be going after Cruz, but he's not. Instead, he's taking his energy to Hillary. Yeah. And her disgusting inner (laughs) debate activities. It's crazy. Yeah. So... There's got to be something going on because would you not attack Cruz? If Donald loses Iowa, he looks like a loser. And 
Cruise is cruising. That that's probably the biggest important element of Iowa is that it shows your organization. It shows yeah. how well your your campaign is running. Mm-hmm. And if you you lose, uh, you'll hear people immediately in the when that finish second and third talking up their organization. Look look how we've performed here, and everyone beyond third. It looks like you don't know what you're doing, yeah. and you start losing donations. You lose money, and that's why people drop out. See, there's ninety nine. So it's fake it until you make it, right? Yeah. And it does show organization and it does show, I guess, tenacity. But I'd rather have my candidate in 99 other cities across the country than in 99 counties in Iowa. But this is where the donors, the importance of the money and the donations come in is you have to show – you have to have a good showing in Iowa. And you do that. That's your first step. Look, we're a solid organization and you convince more money to come your way. Except – Rick Santorum, yeah, that's the one last year, and I think Huckabee won the this, the the the, the, the so process before. It's skewed so. to the right, so if you're already uber uber right leaning in the GOP, and you have a religious following, so you have it, an advantage. It's almost that we're that as uh, the election cycle is stuck in this thought process that gives so much importance to the first two, yeah, contests, right? Whereas they might not be that important. Yeah, but they they still give all this information because the media is focusing on you. You got to make sure everyone understands that you're the candidate to to vote for. This is what we got to figure out. It's interesting. With Dr. Tim Hagel, he's going to walk us through why Iowa is so important. It seems like again, spend the exact same amount of time in Florida because that seems like an, a diverse cornucopia of every flavor and type. But it's about the, what, eighth contest yeah. down the road? So. And it's got a huge electoral bang. Yeah. But instead, we're at the Iowa Fair eating, eating things on sticks. Anyway, we'll, we'll find out with Dr. Tim Hagel. But first, let's get to the headlines with Terry. Find out what's going on around the rest of the world. Terry? Thanks, Matt. The Quinnipiac University. They put out a poll, it seems like, every other day. They released one this morning showing Ted Cruz has been winning over Donald Trump supporters, allowing Cruz to significantly close the gap on the Republican presidential frontrunner. Cruz now has support of 24% of registered Republican voters, just four points away from Trump's lead of 28. That's within the poll's margin of error of 4%, so it could be a dead tie. Trump lost Tea Party voters and evangelists—excuse me, evangelicals—to Cruz, who now surpass him among those groups. Additionally, Cruz is making healthy gains with those who are not college-educated and another group that Trump had counted on in the past. So Cruz is making some inroads. Another poll has 50, in the same Quinnipiac poll, they came out saying 50% of American voters say they would be embarrassed if Donald Trump was president. The uh, current Republican frontrunner, who's 28% support in the poll, tops his competition, would make 23% of voters proud, the poll found. Other recent national polls have found Trump leading for the GOP nomination with more than 20 percentage points. Six in ten women said they would be embarrassed of Trump compared to only four in ten men. 47% of independents say they would be embarrassed by Trump. Only 44% of Republicans said they would be proud of him. Well, and that's a big deal, right? Because the women tend to turn the polls they tend to turn out so that's i don't know what that really means if you're embarrassed of your candidate would you still vote for him it doesn't really answer that question probably not uh the woman accused of deliberately driving her car into a crowded sidewalk and on the las vegas strip told investigators that she was stressed out by security guards who repeatedly chased her from parking lots where she had been trying to sleep in her car 
This from the AP on Monday. Lakeisha Holloway, 24, mowed down more than 30 pedestrians, killed at least one person Sunday night. The Oregon native would not explain why she drove onto the sidewalk, but remembered a body bouncing off her windshield. This according to the police uh. report. Holloway and her three-year-old daughter had been sleeping in her 1996 Oldsmobile in parking lots and garages. Holloway is expected to be charged with murder with a deadly weapon, uh, according to the uh, Clark oh, wow. County District Attorney. So she was stressed out. Yeah, you're probably not allowed to sleep on the strip. We try to move her along, and she just kind of get a room. Uh, Primarily due to the war in Syria, the number of refugees and migrants arriving in Europe in 2015 has surpassed 1 million, according to the International Organization for Migration. An additional 4 million people have fled to Lebanon, Jordan, Turkey, and other other neighboring countries. The numbers rose even more after President Bashar al-Assad's government enlisted more reservists to serve in the army and ease travel restrictions. This in the Washington Post this morning. Hmm. Uh, SpaceX... You hear about yeah, this? Yeah, this is cool. So SpaceX sent a rocket soaring towards orbit Monday night with 11 small satellites, its first mission since an accident last summer. Then it landed the leftover 15-story booster back on Earth safely. It was the first time a rocket returned to land vertically at Cape Canaveral, Florida, and a tremendous success for SpaceX. Company employees broke into cheers, chance following the touchdown 10 minutes after lift, liftoff. Previous landings failed. But those aimed for they, they were aiming for an ocean platform and they all fell into the ocean. The idea is they can recover yeah. the first stage of the rocket and, and it makes it a lot more cost yeah. efficient. Reuse that baby. You don't have to go fish it out of the ocean like they did with the space shuttle. Yeah. They've had a hard time trying to figure out how to land something like that. But like yeah, it's like landing a it's like landing the Washington Monument. Yeah. But it landed vertically. That's cool. And uh, there was an interesting thing on Twitter. You have uh, Elon Musk owns SpaceX. He's also the guy oh, that does Tesla. I did not know that, yeah. Right? So he does Tesla. And the battery king. Jeff Bezos mm-hmm. is Amazon.com, Amazon. but he owns another group that's trying to do more space tourism. Space. That's, isn't that called Space Y? It's called Blue something. I can't remember. But the the his uh, the Amazon guy wants to launch a, a, a space a rocket up with tour, tourists in it that pay thousands of dollars oh, like to a, go into like orbit. A ride. Oh wow! Yeah, kind of a ride, right? And they've figured out how to do this a couple months ago. Yeah, but their rocket is much much shorter than the SpaceX that's trying to. The end goal is Mars. Ooh, wow! Right, yeah. so they're trying to supply the space station, maybe send something to the moon, and then. The is end it, result is he wants look, to get to Mars. It's the private businesses that are keeping the space program alive. That's a, that's an interesting thing. Yeah. Until I guess until they succeed, then the government will step in and say. And the NASA just got a boost in their that. budget recently, oh, so we'll see what happens there. We're going but to space. We had Elon Musk from SpaceX and Jeff Bezos, Amazon, and this other company that's doing space tourism. Uh, Bezos congratulated SpaceX, but kind of snarkily. Yeah, and then it turned into, you know, we just did something. You know, crazy here. He said, "Welcome to the club. Thanks for doing this." And so it was kind of this. Thanks, yeah. Multi-billionaires going back and forth on patting Twitter, each other on the back. Well, not kind even of. not even patting. They were kind of yeah. going. There, there's a there's Night, a rivalry yeah. here. So yeah, it's kind yeah. Of interesting to Congratulations watch. on doing what we've already done. We already did that. You're almost you're almost like it's us. like we landed a building, you landed a car. You know the deal is I'm not going to be an early adopter on space travel. Travel. Yeah, I think I'll let other people take care. I'll of let that them one. perfect it. Yeah. There could be some issues. Yeah. Can you imagine the day that you're just flying to, I don't know, Mars? Boy, crazy stuff. Okay, we uh, we got Dr. Tim Hagel coming up. Uh, he is um, going to walk us through Iowa and the caucuses there. Why 
is why are they so powerful? Why do we start with Iowa? He's going to give us the history, the background. Fill us in on why it's such an important thing. Again, Dr. Tim Hagel will be joining us, and uh, he's slowly, you know, going to unwind the mystery of Iowa. Everyone's fighting for it. Does it really matter, and why does it have such a strong position, primary position, really, in uh, in these elections? So stick with us. We'll uh, dig in deep on this one. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, every election season, as the media follows the presidential candidates in their race for office, the state of Iowa becomes overrun with media attention. The spotlight falls on the state uh, that, you know, would probably otherwise just fall uh, under the radar. So why is Iowa so crucial to a candidate's success, and how have today's candidates been affected by Iowa's influence? Joining us today on the phone, we have Dr. Tim Hagel, Associate Professor at the University of Iowa. He's here to uh, to just help us understand what on earth is going on in Iowa and why it's so important to our presidential election. Dr. Tim Hagel, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Good morning. Good to have you on the show. Thanks for uh, getting up and being on the show with us. What uh, What is the big deal, Tim, with Iowa? It is... It's got the poll position every presidential election, and, um, and, and help us understand why. What is it about Iowa that makes it so important to the process? Well, I suppose you have to go back to the 1976 elections is where we usually think that it starts when the, the Democrats had moved their caucuses up ahead of the New Hampshire primary and put them first in, in line. And although at the time it didn't seem like it was going to be a big deal— but then Governor Jimmy Carter came to Iowa and was trying to make his pitch, a relatively unknown Southern governor, make his pitch for the Democratic nomination. And it ended up that he basically won, hmm. uh, at least among the candidates. And that sort of put Iowa on the map. And it's pretty much grown since then. That is I did not know that. And but but now Iowa is. Is it a representative state? I mean, I get it. Like, I'm, we're from Utah, and Utah is seen as you know three million people and not and pretty pretty white as a state, uh, not really diverse. I've always assumed Iowa was similar. It is in certain respects. It is also about three million people, and it's it's uh, overwhelmingly white, about ninety six percent, I think, and so forth. And in fact, those are some of the criticisms that we often get. Uh, and New Hampshire gets some of them as well as another small early state. And it's, uh, you know, you can argue about why Iowa goes first and is Iowa representative, but that's not really the point of what Iowa, in particular the Iowa caucuses, are all about. It's more about the process. And especially, I, I have to laugh about how people say, oh, well, Iowa's not diverse enough. And yet, the winner of the Democratic caucuses in 2008 was Barack Obama. Mm. So it's not like. There's a, a, you know, like a bias, bias, that thing, the word I was looking for on the part of the folks here. So it's a matter of the candidates coming here and making their pitch to a fairly representative group, because Iowa tends to be one of the swing states in the presidential election. Hmm. And it's so help us understand, because it's a different primary. It's a caucus. Right. So which means right. it's it's basically county by county. Is that how it works? 
actually precinct by precinct. Precinct by pro. Oh, wow. Okay. Get, they get totaled up. There are about 1,700 or so, uh, over 1,700 precincts in the state. Of course, they do get totaled up by county just so that the counties can keep track and so forth. But, uh, yeah, you have to go and meet, unlike a primary where you may have early voting or you have voting at least on, on election day from 7 or 8 in the morning until 7 or 8 at night. On a caucus, you have to show up at a particular time in a particular location in your precinct, and you can't just walk in and vote and leave, although actually you kind of can. But even that, given the process of uh, checking in and some of the administrative stuff, can take up to an hour, and sometimes caucuses can last up to three or four hours, depending on how much uh, people want to talk about the platform, because that's where it starts. It's a grassroots activity. It's a party activity. And so there are a lot of things going on in the caucuses other than the presidential race, which, of course, is what most people outside of Iowa are aware of. So it really is, uh, I, I guess it's seen, because the system's different, these candidates need to go. The, the, one of the big uh, accomplishments in Iowa, I guess, is if you can hit all 99 counties, but really, you're trying to you're trying to convince each precinct by precinct that when they get together to talk, that that they vote for you so that you carry the precinct. Is that the idea? Right. It, it, it's the process, the the way a caucus campaign works, especially in the early state, it actually may not work quite the same way in some of the states that go later, or any states that are bigger than Iowa. The idea is that Iowa and actually New Hampshire, too, are small enough where the candidates have to actually go around and talk to the voters and make that one on one connection sometimes in small town halls, uh, diners, eateries, uh, what have you, and then be able to answer some questions, like small town halls. Now, not all candidates do it that way. Trump has has focused more on big events, so with Hillary Clinton. But for a lot of the candidates, especially those that are lesser known, like I mentioned Jimmy Carter, the the rumor is is that the first event he had was three people in somebody's living room. (laughs) But you start there. You start small. You build up. You make your connections with people. You go to those out of the way places. You don't just land in the in Iowa's version of cities, big cities, not not real huge ones anywhere in the state, of course. And so as a result, you you as a candidate, that's good because you make that connection. You understand what people are thinking about, and that helps provide a good foundation for your campaign as you hope it goes on and expands into other states. Yeah, I I love the idea too that. Uh, the candidates are meeting one on one with kind of these people or diner by diner um just just to hear what's going on is it i guess i mean a lot of candidates don't even don't even play Iowa it seems like if you're a more moderate gop member it seems like Iowa's one that you're willing to just kind of abandon and go play new hampshire that might accept more of the moderate view is it do you see a lot of that going on we're seeing a little bit more of it happening this year, but there have been other semi-famous incidents before. John McCain skipped Iowa in 2000. Um, George W. Bush won the caucuses here, and then McCain won the New Hampshire primary, and it wasn't later until the, the nominee was chosen. Uh, he also skipped Iowa pretty much in 2008, but then that time he did get the nomination. Hmm. Uh, his issue, though, was the ethanol uh, issue, which is big, of course, because of the corn farmers here in Iowa. And he thought that, well, I'm against ethanol, so I can't win in Iowa. I'm not sure. That was probably true in 2000, less so in 2008 or or now. Um, Ted Cruz is doing very well in the state, and he's against the renewable fuel standard, which involves also wind energy, which is important for Iowa, too. So that's part of it. You mentioned, though, the social conservative side of that. The social conservatives are a big part of the uh, Iowa Republican electorate there. Iowa Republicans, sort of three broad groups, the establishment types, the social conservatives, and the more libertarian-leaning folks. And the social conservatives are a pretty big chunk of that, maybe around 40% or so, maybe a little bit higher, some say. 
And so if, you, if you're a more moderate candidate, you may think you can't compete here. But uh, there's pretty big establishment group of Republicans here, too, because Mitt Romney won or was in second place in the mm-hmm. last two uh, caucuses and uh, was only like three dozen uh, votes behind Santorum last time around. Does it um, it seems like and help me with this, because it seems like uh, Mitt, for example, have and others in order to kind of win Iowa, you you need to swing, it seems like more socially conservative than many of these candidates want to be in the general election. And then they kind of it seems like get pegged for flip flopping. Is is that is that a function of the fact of the Iowa caucus that they have to swing so conservative or or what is that about? Well, it depends on who they're reaching out to. Uh, again, you've got the social conservatives that are an important part of the Iowa Republican electorate, and they want to know that you're at least that they can be at least comfortable with what your positions are, whatever those positions may be. Now, you may not be the strongest on a particular position, but as long as you're okay, then they, at least they can consider you another reason. And that was sort of where Mitt Romney was. The first time he ran in 2008, people weren't quite sure about him because of some positions coming off of a, little, a bit more recently his governorship in Massachusetts, in Massachusetts yeah. where he had to make some compromises. And so as a result, they were a little unsure. They were less unsure the, the next time around, and that's why ultimately it became a, a Romney versus one of the social conservative candidates that ultimately became uh, Rick Santorum. And then again, Santorum won by about 34 votes once the counting got sorted out. But no, I, I would say you have to, especially in today's media, you have to be very careful as a candidate about trying to uh, change your message too much from the primary to the uh, general election because people will be able to just pull up those tapes and say, ah, oh, this is what you said before. Right. So you do have to have a message that resonates with the base, uh, whatever base, base that happens to be in the primary caucus season but then can not be seen as too different come the general election time. Man, it's uh, it, and then and then you've got to be willing. It seems like to go spend more time in Iowa than I guess I'm assuming any other state, uh, to in order to win. Well, it, it's a combination. Again, you you can't just be here. You have to be in New Hampshire too, because that follows eight days right. after the Iowa caucuses, and then of course. South Carolina and Nevada come pretty quickly after that. So you have to you start maybe start earlier in Iowa and New Hampshire. And usually you're right. You do probably spend more time here than other states, especially up until caucus day. Obviously, after that, the people have moved on until the general election. But this year was a little bit different on the Republican side just because there were so many candidates and they had this use of the national poll to determine who got on the main debate and who was on the mm-hmm. undercard debate. That, that caused a number of candidates to not spend as much time in Iowa as they might ordinarily have done. And I think that may have hurt some candidates, uh, at, at least in terms of, of this early process, because they just weren't here enough and now are playing a little bit of catch-up to try to get their ground game together to be able to do relatively well in the caucuses. Yeah, it's uh, it's such an interesting um, thing that's going on this year. In fact, let's let's do this. We're speaking with Dr. Tim Hagel from the University of Iowa. He is an associate professor there and is um, is working with us today, trying to understand the Iowa caucus system, why Iowa has such an important position in our process um, of elections. Stick with us, folks. We'll take a break. We'll be back more with Dr. Tim Hagel in just a minute. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back.
Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You keep hearing about it. Iowa caucus is uh, It's the gateway, right, to the presidency. This is the you show up, and if you can get Iowa to buy in and like you, it's going to launch your presidential election uh, like it did Governor Jimmy Carter. Then you go to New Hampshire, and then, boom, South Carolina and Florida, and then Super Tuesday, and then the next thing you know, you're the president of the United States. Well, we wanted to talk to an expert who knew what really is going on in Iowa, where they gained the power to be the you know in the poll position in this electoral process. So we've called in Dr. Tim Hagel, who is an associate professor of political science at the University of Iowa, and his research specializes in American politics. He's um, he's the go-to guy in uh, Iowa about the Iowa caucus system and. He's, he's here on the show with us to help us understand it better. Welcome back to the show, uh, Dr. Tim Hagel. Thanks. Great to have you. When, you, when, I, when I look at Iowa, um, again, I, I relate to it because it just feels like, you know, one of the kind of Midwestern states. Um, and it seems like I've, I've never understood how they garnered so much power. How? And so, so help me understand, Tim, when, when somebody wins Iowa— what does it tell the rest of the country? What does it tell the rest of the the candidates? Well, let me back up just a little second there. One of the things that, um, you know, people talk about, well, you've got to win Iowa and so forth. And it really isn't that you have to win or even that the winner necessarily is going to go on and, and get the nomination or get to be the president. Uh, in fact, that's some of the complaints that people have, particularly on the Republican side, is that sometimes the nominees don't end up getting or the winners here don't get the nomination or don't go on the presidency. In fact, New Hampshire likes to say that they pick presidents and Iowa picks corn. Of course, <laughs> I pointed out to a New Hampshire legislator once that the last two presidents did, in fact, win the Iowa caucus and not win the New Hampshire primary. So that uh, kind of got in the way of this mm. narrative. Yeah. What I say is instead of Iowa necessarily being a kingmaker, we separate the contenders from the pretenders. And we usually talk about that being there are three tickets out of Iowa and that you usually see who are the top finishers, who are the people that are really doing a good job in making their case to hear the Iowa voters and then can go on perhaps with some momentum into the New Hampshire primary. Now, it doesn't always match up that way, and sometimes the New Hampshire voters uh, have different choices. I mentioned the 2000 race with here George W. Bush won, but there it was uh, McCain. We even saw that for the Democrats in 2008, where Obama won here and Hillary Clinton won in New Hampshire. So there are going to be some differences. But once you get past Iowa and then New Hampshire, you sort of have a good idea of where the race is, and that gives later states, South Carolina, Nevada, and so forth, a clear picture of who really are the strong candidates. Yeah, so it really – it's kind of just like an endurance test uh, because – and you, what's great about it too is it's a, it's such a – local focus and these candidates have to come in and and have the people test not just the media test they've got to they've got to meet the people one on one that is exactly right that's exactly right that the idea is that you can't just to to win in the Iowa caucuses or the New Hampshire primary you can't just stand up in front of a podium or have advertisements on TV and mailers in the mail you've got to meet the people now again there are some exceptions and Donald Trump's running a different type of campaign he's not running sort of the traditional type uh, where you have a ground game and so forth, although they are working on it. So we'll see how that works out come caucus night. Or if you're a well-known person like Hillary Clinton, that you run a somewhat different type of campaign. But for most of those folks, they really have to do that, where they're meeting those people one-on-one. They maybe give a speech in some 
small diner hall or auditorium, but then they're taking questions. They're working a room sometimes, just going around talking. I remember when Rick Perry came here uh, four years ago where he stopped at the sort of semi-famous Hamburg Inn number 2 here in Iowa City, and you come in and you start working the room, walking one by one, shake hands, exchange a few words with somebody, and you move on to the next. So it's those people skills that are often very important in making those connections. Well, and I love the idea that it's a middle American state, right? It's the, it's the flyby yep. state that nobody pays attention to. And yet you've got all of these politicians that are coming to the fair to eat anything they can on a stick. and um, <laughs> And also the straw poll. I mean, it's... I love that side of it. Uh, how how does you know how did um, remember when Trump was it at the fair that Trump brought his helicopter and gave helicopter rides? Right. How did yeah. that go over? Uh, I mean, to me, that seems say, like Middle Iowa wouldn't be issues for something like that. But uh, it's you know different people react different ways. And again, it's that idea of you're actually meeting with real people, right. not just the the elites or the people in the halls of Congress, and you know. The, it's, there's a humility here among the people, and even though they're meeting presidential candidates that you know don't put on airs and so forth, mm-hmm. and like you say, it's typical middle America voters, and it's something that the candidates need to understand is how folks in the Midwest and elsewhere think, just average people rather than the elites that they probably are hanging around with most of the time. What do you think about Trump as just as a professor of politics? And um, and American politics, and I'm sure the history of American politics. What do you think's going on with Trump? It's a puzzle. Uh, he has perplexed and befuddled people, pundits and professors, and so forth. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of dissertations written on oh, yeah. his campaign afterwards. Especially the longer it goes, and more successful it is. So we'll still have to see. I, I'm still of the the opinion that there's a big difference between. Uh, Somebody that's t- doing the campaign that he's doing versus, as I mentioned, the ground game version where you're, you know, meeting people and getting those signatures and getting people on email lists and all of that, rather than just having big events where you're firing people up. Enthusiasm counts for a lot mm-hmm. in this, but it's got to be more than that usually. But that's been the typical model. Is Trump breaking that model? Is he breaking the mold? Well, that's what we have to wait and see, and we've got about six weeks to figure that out. Mm. Does um, how how does Iowa? hold on to this poll position because, you know, there's Super Tuesday, which has I don't even know how many states gearing up. And it seems like every state wants to eventually have more power. I mean, some of these states, you know, further down the line, they become almost meaningless in this electoral process. Um, How does Iowa keep that position? Well, it's been difficult. And again, there have been people of criticisms, you know, why Iowa, uh, you're a small state, you're not representative and so forth. Why do you have, you know, so much influence? And it's funny because when people complain about Iowa's influence, then they turn around and say, well, plus you folks don't pick the winners all the time. Well, you know, which argument do you want to make here? You can't make both at the mm. same time. Uh, Iowa is, understands the process at this point. Iowans are very good at vetting the candidates and the candidates sort of understand when they come in, if they've got any experience, if they come in and, and how it works and, and what they need to do. And I think that if they uh, even rotated among other states, that it would be more difficult and it would be a, a harder learning curve and you wouldn't get that same sort of vetting process. And the nice thing about Iowa, even though it is a lot bigger than New Hampshire, 
it's a fairly inexpensive state to run in. So you can actually have a candidate that starts out that maybe not well-known, that doesn't have a, a large war chest, a lot of money, and can actually build a campaign. And that's, to some extent, what Santorum did. He was running this right. campaign on a shoestring, went around to all 99 counties and talked to people in little out-of-the-way places and finally built a strong enough coalition to eventually win and go on to win 10 other states as well. So that's pretty significant, even though we didn't get the nomination. Uh, if you had some other state, I usually use Montana as an example since I go out there hiking in the national parks. That's a huge state, and it would be very difficult for people to get around that state to talk to the people as, as another small in terms of population state. Um, I was also, as I said, very inexpensive, unlike even New Hampshire, where you have some pretty big media markets nearby. And so, again, you don't need a lot of money to campaign here, and sometimes that's a good thing, particularly for folks that are worried about too much money in politics. Yeah, who was it? Last year that just got in a truck and drove around a truck or last Santorum. Santorum. Is that who did that? Yeah. Yep. I guess that's the key. And and then, it, I mean, it gives you a shot. But I guess um, – but, I mean, can a liberal Republican – not a liberal. I mean, can a more moderate Republican win Iowa? We know, we know Barack Obama could win Iowa. But can a, can a Republican – moderate uh, win, because McCain didn't win, right? Uh, Mitt came in second. Um, did George Bush, George W. Bush win? Yeah. He won. So yep. he so, won, so I guess, but I guess I don't know if he'd be considered moderate. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it, it is possible. It's not, it just seems like the GOP side of Iowa sways much more uh, socially conservative than maybe establishment is that true it, it does but not overwhelmingly so i know there's a figure out there they say oh 60 percent of caucus goers republican caucus goers are social conservatives i think that's too high it's probably around 40 45 percent you have a good chunk of the establishment folks and a good chunk of the libertarian leaning folks a lot of whom supported ron paul and, and we'll mm -hmm. see about Rand paul this time but yeah it, it, but it's going to depend on the particular race uh, last time around, it was basically Mitt Romney as the establishment candidate versus everybody else, and the, the everybody else finally coalesced around social conservative Santorum and the libertarian folks around Ron Paul. This time, you've got more people in each of those three lanes, and so in some sense, uh, it, they seem to be coalescing. Social conservatives seem to be coalescing around Cruz. Not sure what to make of Trump, more the outsider kind of candidate. We'll see what happens there. But then we're still unsure here as far as the establishment candidate. Will it be Christie? Will it be Rubio? Will it be Bush? We don't know. Those folks haven't been campaigning here as hard, but now you're starting to see all three of them ramp up their campaigns, particularly Christie folks. So it could be that one of those folks emerges, but it just depends on how quickly each sort of group coalesces around a particular candidate. And again, with McCain, it wasn't so much whether he was considered a moderate. It was more the ethanol issue for him. That's right. But yeah, there have been other folks, especially this time, uh, that are considered more moderate Republicans that aren't campaigning here at all. Um, but their strength lies usually in New Hampshire. So somebody like Pataki, governor of New York, um, Gilmore, I'm not even sure if he's doing anything anymore. We hardly hear about right. him in the news. Um, Lindsey Graham spent a little bit more time in New Hampshire than he did here in Iowa, uh, again, for the same reason. So you just have to, as a candidate, you have to pick where you think your strength is. And as long as you're doing well in at least one of the early states, then it kind of gives you a shot to go on to South Carolina as the third state. Many people say that um, Cruz uh, has a very good chance of winning Iowa, and this could be, you know, the first real 
major hit that Trump takes because Trump's always about winning. He's the winner. He's not a loser. And if he if he loses Iowa to Cruz, it seems like, you know, that might that could potentially, you know, injure him pretty seriously. That's exactly right, that he that's his argument that he's always a winner, never a loser. Of course, when he does get behind like in a poll or something, then he'll say, oh, well, you know, the poll was rigged or those people are rotten or whatever. And even the first poll where he wasn't ahead in Iowa, where he had Carson at the time was ahead, he you know kind of started slamming Iowa voters a little bit, kind of in a joking way. But you know that if all of a sudden he doesn't win the Iowa caucuses, then it's going to be the Iowans' fault, and he'll probably put on a bigger push, and we'll see what happens in New Hampshire. But you know at this point, uh, again, the campaigns are putting on their their last push, maybe a little bit of a break here over the holidays, and then in January you have that big push towards caucus day. And that's where the ground game is important. So we'll see how many folks turn out on caucus night. So we, what should we be watching for, uh, really? Because caucus night is, is it February 1st? February 1st, Monday night. Yeah. So uh, between now and February 1st, I guess after the holidays, everyone will be in Iowa and New Hampshire pushing hard. Anything else we should be watching for? Any Anything that you see kind of as an insider there in Iowa that, that we ought to pay attention to? It, it's for the most part, it's a lot of more of the same. That the campaigns have been building, as I say, their ground game, which means reaching out to the individual folks and not just the candidates, but they need to show up here too. But the the staffers or the volunteers that are gathering names and so forth. But this is all pretty much under the radar, and the media won't pick up that kind of aspect to it. So. Uh, the thing will be is that uh, how much folks are here, uh, maybe can you tell that they're gaining momentum? A lot of times, even on social media, you can tell. Uh, I saw that last time where the Twitter was just lit up with the Santorum folks. They were excited. They were motivated, hmm. and they were really going to get out there. And sure enough, the, the movement was huge towards Santorum, even in the, the four days before the caucuses. So you really can't do much in the way of making predictions. A good indicator will probably be a poll that will come out. Maybe the weekend before the caucus is probably Saturday night done by the Des Moines Register and Bloomberg Politics. And that's probably going to be a good indication of where we're at on caucus night. But to some extent, you just kind of have to – the candidates have to do what they need to do and see what happens Monday night. And and, and the good news for Hillary Clinton is she's, she's kind of running away with it, it looks like, in Iowa. Well, Bernie Sanders is apparently within striking distance. Is he closing in? Oh. Yeah, well, he had it within nine points, which probably was at the outside of the margin of error of that particular poll. But, um, yeah, I mean, he's still within striking distance. And, and, and for him, he's pretty much got to win Iowa if he wants a chance at the nomination. Right. And so he'll probably put on a big push here as well. But he could win Iowa. Then he's leading in New Hampshire. But, right. but he hasn't done as much work down in South Carolina and Florida and the rest of them. It really is a it's a game where you got to play all sides, it sounds like. Yeah, and that's the thing is people talk about all the attention on on Iowa caucuses or even the New Hampshire primary, but the candidates have to have these other operations in gear and going even before, well before the caucuses. They can't just start, okay, the caucuses are over, now let's go to the next stage. Yeah, next, yeah. No, it doesn't. Well, Dr. Tim Hagel, we appreciate you. This is great insight for all of us, and uh, good luck there. Hopefully you don't get, you you know, overrun by the... The candidates and their buses. Uh, great stuff. I appreciate uh, Dr. Tim Hagel from the University of Iowa. Really, when you think about it, it's the process, right? And um, I'm sure every state would love that position. It's just Iowa's earned it. I love the idea that middle America has this much power. I mean, like, even New Hampshire is still middle America as far as 
just the average Joe having this much insight. I think it's really cool, too, that as a state, they're probably their political IQ is a lot higher than maybe most of ours, uh, the rest of the states as well. Interesting stuff, folks. We'll take a break, come back and uh, finish up this discussion in the first hour of the show. Stick with us, folks. You're listening to The Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. everybody yes it is christmas time is here again folks and you know what that means it's time to get to uh your local walmart apparently and steal two televisions in our in our bad boys bad boys section as you know as a coach we like to coach not only the healthy people but we also want to coach criminals. Uh, if you are going to steal two televisions from a Walmart, let me give you some coaching advice. A, don't try to carry both of them on your shoulder, especially if they're 55 and 60-inch televisions, as did our, uh, <laughs> as did Marcelo Mastroianni. Mastroianni. He tried to steal two televisions from a Walmart. He also, by the way, took two BB guns, and stuffed them in his pocket. Then he pushed the TVs, he put them in a cart, pushed them to the front door where he tried to pick them both up, and Marcelo fell as he picked the boxes up and dropped the two boxes of televisions, right, on his face, causing an orbital fracture to his left eye. A Walmart worker saw him drop the TVs, probably thinking, oh boy, there's a lawsuit right there. (laughs) The guy just dropped two TVs on his head, and helped Mr. Mastriani out to his car, and helped him load the televisions into his car, where Mastrioni's girlfriend said, hey, I don't think we paid for those TVs. Uh, the employee then asked for the receipt for the TVs, and Mastrioni couldn't find one. Weird. And eventually he asked for medical attention because uh, when the TVs fell on his head, it broke his orbital lobe around his eye, and he needed to go to the doctor. So just a little heads up. If you are, this is the show where we give you the information you need. <laughs> if you are going to steal TVs, don't try to. Just don't be. Don't be greedy. Just take one, and uh, you know, pay for them. You should. You should pay for them. And if not, by the way, they then they found out what's well, with the BB guns. He's like, I don't even remember that. I have a head injury. Leave me alone. Anyway, just a little advice for you. We, we know. An equal opportunity coach. We'll take a break, folks. That's hour number one of the Matt Townsend Show. When we come back next hour, Dr. Ron Hager will be joining us talking about the importance of exercise during the holiday season. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio.
Ooh, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Town Show. Dr. Matt here. Ah, top of the morning to you. A couple days before uh, Christmas Eve day. That's such a weird phrase. What, Christmas Eve day? Yeah. Why'd you just, just call it Christmas Eve? Well, I know, but in, at 3 in the morning, at 3 in the afternoon, it's just Christmas I, day, I, Eve I just, day. I refer to the entire day as Eve. In the morning? Yeah. Good Eve to you. <laughs> what, Daddy? Hey, we got a we got a great show for you coming up. Do you, do you need to exercise? Occasionally. How about during the holidays? Absolutely. Uh, this is when I get my exercises, during the holidays, because we go, we spend a lot of time as a family. A lot of basketball. Well, you don't play basketball. No, I do. I have a crossover that would break your ankles. Mm, I have my doubts. Holy cow. Are you kidding me? Yes. I can palm a mini ball. So can I. I am the healthiest human ever (laughs) known to man. Right on. I don't get what you're... I just don't think you have the skills that you're bragging about. Are you kidding me? No, apparently not. I, I'm i pretty talented at uh, a lot of sports. Granted, I have nothing to base this on. Right. You walk down to your office and you sit at your desk for hours on end. Yeah. That's well, the most athletic thing I see you do all day. Oh, well, you don't see what I do when you leave. Of course not. Why would I see when I, I'm not here? I do Tai Chi. Really? Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. I heard there was some jazzercise in there as well. Total jazzercise. Yeah. I can't do it today because I forgot my leg warming, my leg warmers. Is that what they call them? I my leg, no my, my leg warmers. <laughs> Quit while you're ahead. That's from the '80s. Yes, you're accurate there. Flashdance had leg warmers, warmings, warmers. What do you call them? Again, look those up, Ben. <laughs> leg warmings, warmers. Should I should I order them for the Matt Townsend team or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Overnight Express, <laughs> charge it to Matt. <laughs> leg warmers for everybody. That'll be great. Hey, did you hear this? Oh, I'm telling you, I'm so proud of just, I guess, human, the human race. We told you a story. She was my hero story. Um, we told you the story of Sapphire Terry, who in 2013 lost her father and three younger siblings in an arson fire, which also left Sapphire with 75% uh, burns over 75% of her body, took her right hand and her left foot. And the eight-year-old uh, is now living with family, other family, and um, she told, really, in news stories, she told the country, everybody, she just, all she wanted for Christmas, she just wanted some cards for her Christmas tree stand. She had a Christmas tree stand. And then her story went viral, and it took off, and as of today, Sapphire has received about 195,000 letters. It's actually updated. What? How many? Uh, there's other. I think there's another story I've given you. There. Three thousand. By the way, more than three thousand packages as well. Yeah. Hundred ninety-five thousand. Oh, there's an update. This I, just in. I think. Let's just. I was see. I was, breezy, I was just perusing that second story there. Two hundred thousand cards. There you go. More than four thousand packages for this little girl, who has has a has an aunt, has an uncle, has some cousins that she lives with, but that's it. So you've stepped up. You're changing the life of an eight-year-old burn victim. How amazing is that? What do you do with 200,000 cards? Recycle, eventually. Keep your favorites and... Uh, Man. And can you imagine just reading 200,000 Or, or replying. How? 
My mom made me reply to every gift. I had to send a thank you card. If someone sent me a card, she tried to get us to send like a, a response somehow. Wow, you've got a great mom. Yeah, I never did it though, but like she she'd buy us like a card and pen sets and stuff to try to encourage the behavior. So that, you know, you have this sort of gratitude type of I never bought onto that. It's Holy cow, this just in, this just in. What you get? More than 300,000 letters. There you go. That is crazy. 4,000 packages. It's That's probably a, even more as of now. It's well, just, but what's growing. sad is this poor girl, if she if your mother if if your mother if she was involved this girl would have to write, you know, 304,000 letters. If she were to read 1,000 letters a day, it would take her about a year to get through them. Oh wow. We may have just harmed this girl. <laughs> <laughs> How neat. Plus yeah. probably I'm sure, you know, somebody might send her a check and that's neat. And who says that people don't have the spirit of Christmas? Come on! That's it right there. That's pretty neat. In fact, did you hear about the guy? Let's talk about the spirit of Christmas. Uh-oh. The guy— uh, These don't usually go well when you No, this is great. Okay, this is go great. ahead. Go ahead. I mean, this is fantastic. This is about love and marriage. If you're, if you're going to get engaged, where do you get engaged? Where's, like, the most romantic place to get engaged, other a, than a winger's? A, Italian restaurants over— Appetizers. No. no. Oh. At a city park. Nope. No. How about on I-45 in Houston? Oh, yeah, this guy. December 13th, there's a traffic jam on I-45. The reason a marriage proposal. <laughs> Vidal Vajaderes Navas and his friends stopped their cars in the middle of the highway so he could propose to his girlfriend, Michelle Wyckoff. On the freeway. On the freeway. Vajaderes Naves tells the Houston Chronicle that the section of highway is actually one of Wyckoff's favorite spots. This is her favorite part of the highway. I love the view from the freeway. And the site of the couple's second date. <laughs> on the freeway. Apparently there was a traffic jam that day, too. Uh, no, they were on a motorcycle ride. He said, I stopped on my motorcycle and she just loved the view. Mm. No, nothing better than the view from an overpass in Houston. Which is really, it's, it's like just all cement. Yeah. The Houston freeways are just cement. I don't know. It's, that's, that's great. They're beautiful. Uh, I stopped my motorcycle. She loved the view, he said. So when it came to proposing, I just wanted to do something different, he says. An Instagram video shows friends standing in lanes of traffic with cell phones and cameras as Vajaderas Navas gets down on one knee as Wyckoff says yes – a few vehicles sneak by the scene, honking their support. Right. I support. think not. <laughs> and then they were both arrested and booked into jail. Absolutely. No, they weren't. But well, I think he was. Was he really arrested? Yeah, I think there's some legal action going on because he caused a uh, – you could say he caused a public nuisance. Yeah. You could say there's some traffic oh, violation man. somehow. What a – what's happening to this world? <laughs> I can't even stop traffic to propose to my beautiful wife. In, in the romantic I-45 <laughs> corridor. It's great. Love isn't dead. Love is not dead. And then you can continue to fix it down the road when it maybe hits a few bumps. Yeah. But. I like that pun. What? You can bumps fix it the down, the world, down, down the, the road. Down the road. Down the road, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks uh, for the commentary. I'm a professional. Don't point it out. It kind of ruins the effect. But I, I just wanted to I didn't even know. notice. I didn't even notice that See? pun. See? 
It was subtle. Subtle it was good. Yeah, nobody would have noticed it if it wasn't for me. No, I don't think I think people caught it. Yep. Okay, so let's uh, get to the headlines. Anything going on around the world there, Terry? Thanks, Matt. In the latest series of Trumpisms, the Republican presidential frontrunner knocked Hillary Clinton on Monday for not returning to the stage on time in Saturday night's Democratic debate and using a very derogatory word to describe how she lost to Barack Obama in the 2008 presidential race. Even a race to Obama, she was going to beat Obama. I don't know who would have been worse. I don't know how could... I've, I've said this before. Reading Trump verbatim is very confusing. Very few people actually read him verbatim. I was just—I just thought I'd give it a shot. But she was going to get beat. He goes on. He goes. Trump said the real estate mogul also criticized Clinton for her late return to the debate stage because of a bathroom break. Where did she go? I thought she quit. I thought she gave up. I know where she went. It's disgusting. I don't want to talk about. It. Man, <laughs> she went to the restroom. Yeah. Just like the rest of the candidates did. Just like everyone on earth. Oh, well. After noticing that Donald Trump typically does better in polls conducted online compared to those done via telephone, Morning Consult, a polling and marketing research company, wanted to understand why that is and which polls are more accurate. Online polls showed that Trump, with the backing of almost four in ten Republican voters, while phone surveys usually have him with the support of one-third or fewer. The LA Times reports. Morning Consult put out a poll of Republican voters earlier this month, and they either spoke to, with a live pollster on the phone, took an online survey, or received a phone call where they responded to recorded questions by hitting a phone buttons. Polling directors for Morning Consult found voters are six points more likely to support Trump when they are talking, or taking the poll online than when they are talking to an interviewer. So oh. he gets six points more support when, he's, when they don't have to talk to a human to admit Oh, that really? That they're supporting Trump. When yeah. there's just an online poll, yeah, sure, I'll support him. When, they, when they're talking to someone, eh, not so much. By six points difference. Morning Consult believes that people with college educations could be less likely to say they support him when they're talking to a live human due to the social desirability bias or the tendency of people to want to keep unpopular opinions to themselves. Interesting. So people don't want to own up when they're talking to another human that they support Trump. But... But when it's online, they'll go ahead and say so. There's like a little bit of a Trump shame. A little bit is what they found. So, uh, in other news, a grand jury in Walter County, Texas, has decided not to indict anyone in connection with the death of Sandra Bland, a black woman found dead inside her Texas jail cell over the summer. The prosecutor said that in January, the grand jury will reconvene to determine if there should be any charges stemming from her arrest which was caught on camera. Bland was pulled over for a traffic stop, and a confrontation broke out between Bland and the police officer. She was arrested three days later, found dead in her cell. Investigators say she she hanged herself, but her family asked for an independent autopsy. Hmm. So that story is ongoing. The CDC, once again, Chipotle, I always say that wrong, Chipotle is once again linked to an outbreak of E. coli, this time affecting diners in North Dakota, Kansas, and Oklahoma. The Centers for Disease Control said Monday it was investigating the case of five people who became sick between November 18th and November 26th with E. coli. E. coli. Once, uh, one week after each ate at a Chipotle restaurant. Chipotle has been linked to earlier outbreaks in November that sickened people across nine states with a different strain of E. coli and a different outbreak at Boston College where at least 120 students reported getting sick after eating Holy at the restaurant. How? The, the restaurant says that one at Boston College it was, it was likely not E. coli. It was another. You know, it was another bug. Another bacteria that made them all sick. So e. coli. They've been having a rough uh, couple of months there with Isn't there a commercial that's it's called? It's Ricola. Oh. It's different. Oh. It's not E. coli? 
Uh, you ever look at public policy polling? No. Why it's, would I? It's interesting. Like who? Who? I, I just did. Oh wow! They did something else. I looked up. They, you need another Star Wars show. What about the War on Christmas? You've heard about it. Do you think it's real? You mean people that don't use, don't like to use the word Christmas? No, like uh, when you get uh, a city or a, a state that says that on on uh, state or city buildings Property. you can't put a nativity scene. Oh or yeah. No, I mean, is there a war? No. Is there an outright war on Christmas? No. There are people that believe. There are, well, there are people. I mean, there are people that don't like that. Yeah, sure. So they did but, a poll asking people's opinion on this war on Christmas, if it's real or not. Americans are becoming less and less convinced about this war on Christmas. 2012, 47% of voters nationally believe that such a thing existed to only 40% who didn't. Now just 37% of voters believe in the war on Christmas to 42% who say it does not exist. There is the predictable party divide, Republicans 56-26, believing that there is, and Democrats 26-55, to believing sure. that there is not. Yeah. War on Christmas. By the way, notice how weird, division amongst the parties that are already – but if you think there's a war on Christmas, you hear about that on the stations you listen to. And That's you right. read it in your news. And they point out the specific stories that back up there. It's just – these are story. all just people and we see what we want to see. And I get it. I mean I get it. People are – we're becoming more secularized. I yes. get that. Another poll they had. Yeah. Is Santa Claus a Republican or a Democrat? Oh, for sure. <laughs> Which one? Uh, he's – you know what he is? He's, he's, uh, he's an independent. It says uh, the, the poll came out. 28 percent of respondents said St. Nick was a Democrat. Well, 22% said the Santa is a Republican. 50% were unsure, which what? is up from 28% who were unsure. Well, let's look at unsure. it this way. See, because if you think of the guy that's out there giving, you would probably think, you know, that's a Democratic idea giving. So is it their handouts. But then when you think of somebody that sneaks into your house. Yeah. That maybe likes to be around children and elves. Right. And has this crazy uh, sleigh, sleigh with yeah. flying reindeer. Yeah, he's an independent. He's an independent. Fifty <laughs> percent of respondents were unsure, which is up from twenty-eight percent who were unsure in two thousand twelve. Wow, he does live in his own compound in the North Pole. He's got a compound. He probably has lots of guns. How do you keep? Well, how else do you keep the elves in line? <laughs> See, it's you can't win. You can't win. You know what? He transcends party. You think so? Yeah. He's he's a saint for crying out loud. It's like Mother Teresa, liberal, conservative. It doesn't matter. It's Mother Teresa. They're beyond that. There you go. <sighs> okay, good stuff. Let's uh we'll take a break. When we come back, Dr. Ron Hager's in the house. He is uh going to be talking to us about how to how to stay healthy and, you know, maybe in, increase or start or continue your health regimen during the holidays it's a great time you're going you might have a little more time to do something uh if apparently if you live in the east coast you're in a balmy 70 degrees in uh, washington dc for heaven's sake so this might be the perfect time to stay healthy and we're going to teach you why exercise is so important it really does more than just build your muscles it may be strengthening your immunity. We'll uh, give you those ideas next. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. It's 
Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, uh, what better gift to give yourself at Christmas time than health? Then, you know, just health. To have good health with your family, with your friends at this time, probably the most important thing you can have. And so joining us, who better than the health guru that he is, Dr. Ron Hager. He's an associate professor of exercise sciences in the College of Life Sciences here at Brigham Young University. His expertise is to help us all uh, eliminate chronic disease. That's the plan. Is, is that possible? Uh, it, we, you can, know, we can minimize it, we, I guess. We can certainly do a lot. About 70% of of the major chronic diseases are lifestyle-related. So Are they really? Yeah, so it's kind of interesting uh, you know, when you think about it from that perspective. Uh, and when I say lifestyle-related, I'm talking about Primarily not smoking. I mean, that's yeah. that's a massive If you don't smoke, you're way ahead of the game. Way ahead of the game. And to be fair, uh, you know, only a, a fairly small percentage of the population smokes, and it's the percentages seem to be going down hmm. still, even, yeah. even over the years. Um, but also the things you eat, uh, whether you exercise regularly or not. And uh, the other uh, really important one is to maintain a healthy weight. I know. That's the big deal. Yeah. Yeah, and of course that's related to a lot of times how you eat or whether you exercise or not. Talk about the exercise because we hear about that all the time. We've talked a lot on the show about what you eat, how you take your calories in. Um, but exercise kind of seems like a no-brainer. You you have to do it to burn calories, right? So yeah, if you if you moderate your calorie intake and maximize your exercise, yeah, which you're, 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 uh, you're going to burn. Your calorie expenditure. Yeah, then, then you kind of balance things out. Yeah. Right? Uh, that doesn't mean, you know, I want to make a point real quick because I, I kind of, based on what you said, uh, you know, when people start to equate things, mm-hmm. then they start to sort of balance it and they say, well, and then they begin to think in terms of compensation, yeah, right? right. Like, like, well, if I exercise, if I, I can eat whatever I donuts, want. Right? Yeah, right. <laughs> it doesn't really Not, work it, like that. Yeah, you, you don't like that kind of balance idea you need to and and you're actually going to teach us anyway that exercise has more value than just calorie burning yeah and it has more value than your fitness too so some people say well you know if i'm fit you know then i can work harder or i can perform better or i can compete you know those kinds of things but uh, even at a cellular level there's a lot of things going on in exercise and uh, as more research is being done in the area of genetics now uh, more is being discovered on how exercise facilitates proper gene expression, even mm. in some cases. In fact, there are now, you know, there have been identified uh, uh, exercise genes, basically, that if you don't exercise regularly, they don't express properly. And, and express meaning? Meaning, uh, you know, e- either to not express or to express or, or not to misexpress. Uh, you know, if a gene doesn't uh, do what it's supposed to do, then it can lead to problems like uh, diabetes. Yeah, for example. yeah. Then you're not performing at the cellular level at your highest level. Yeah, and and in addition to that, uh, there has been a significant amount of research done recently, uh, but in the last uh, twenty to thirty years, more and more is being understood about the role of exercise and immune function, hmm. or how the body uh, resists. I guess maybe more acute types of uh, illness like the flu or a cold, but even in certain cases like uh, cancer. So, so if, you, if you exercise more healthy and, and consistently, 
You're saying it strengthens your immunity to acute illnesses like the cold and maybe even cancer. Well, I guess that would be because that would happen at a cellular level. Yeah. If you're expressing right on the cellular level, you'd probably be able to handle cancer. Yeah. Yeah. There's there's essentially two kinds of of well, I'm not going to say immunity, I guess, but two kinds of ways that your immune system, or two parts to your immune system. There's the innate system, uh, which which includes things like the uh, like uh, the, the the skin, for mm-hmm. example. You know, it's uh, it it prevents things from getting in, you know, or the or the mucosal linings, you know, those kinds of things. And then uh, there's also the acquired immune system, which is more what's going on inside already, and and that's that's the the kind of immunity that most people think of when they think of the immune system is uh when a when a pathogen is in the body you know you have certain immune system cells that function to either recognize that from a previous infection hmm. you know uh, and and attack it and destroy it, you know all these kinds of things um and and exercise can affect you know overall immune system functioning uh and i thought you know at this time of year you know, you see a lot of advertisements for flu shots and right. a lot of people going out and getting flu shots because they don't want to get the flu. Uh, or even, you know, just common colds are more uh, prevalent at, at the, you know, in the wintertime. And uh, and I, I remember my mother saying to me all the time, is, you know, if it was cold outside, you know, during the wintertime, you know, if you're going outside to play, you put a coat on <laughs> or you're going to catch a cold. Yeah. You know, and, and interestingly, that's, uh, that's not how it happens. one of the few times when... Uh, maybe the only time my mother's ever been wrong. What? What? Let me, let me ask you. What does clean underwear have to do with it? <laughs> That's a good question. My mom would always say that. I, I don't know if that has to do with the illness or just maybe maybe <laughs> lack of embarrassment. Yeah, I just suppose, that's you know? exactly. If you end mom, up in the hospital. Yeah, first. if you die in an accident, look at your undies. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, but man. but the, the, so wearing a research actually shows that the cold. Now I'm not talking. I'm talking about you know just kind of general winter temperatures. Mm-hmm. I mean, if obviously if you're going. Uh, you know, to Antarctica or something, you know. Uh, <laughs> if you're going skiing, yeah. Extreme cold, uh, you know, you may, of course, want to bundle up. But research shows it doesn't really increase your risk of, uh, you know, a, a virus or a bacterial infection. What The reason it's more prevalent this time of year is because people are indoors more. Hmm. They're in closer proximity to each other where germs are passed right. more easily. Uh, so, uh, so the idea here is, um, you know, to... Wash your hands often, you know, not stick your finger in your eye or your nose or your mouth right. or whatever after you, you know, shake hands with 10 different people. Or So those are just basic things you do all year round. But how, you know, how, how does exercise uh, relate to all of this? Exercise actually has uh, an interesting effect. Uh, if you're sedentary, your immune system is compromised. So we kind of go back to uh, how your body needs some type of physical activity or movement in order to function properly. So if you're sedentary, your immune system uh, is not at at its peak operating capacity. If you exercise at a moderate uh, amount, Mm -hmm. either duration or intensity, uh, your immune system is actually bolstered. Immune system functioning improves. So I guess you've turned it up. It's, it, 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 so it's at yeah, higher capacity. Yeah, and there, there, are, there are ways that this happens. And, and scientists understand some of this. But really, uh, you might say they're just kind of scratching the surface. It's a very complicated and uh, complex thing that's going on in the body. But they do know that, uh, you know, that, that the things that fight infection, immuno, uh, immunoglobulins, uh, uh, 
uh, different kinds of cells that are part of the immune system, their concentrations go up with moderate intensity or moderate duration exercise. But then if you shift to more high intensity uh-huh. or high duration, uh, then your immune system actually uh, is compromised, again, even to sometimes a point that's worse than being sedentary. So if you over-exercise, if you go to high-intensity for or high, or, a sustained time. Yeah, or, 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 or long duration, like, like marathon times, you know, that kind of stuff. Then your immunity would actually drop. Yeah, and there's been studies, you know, both in animals, like uh-huh. they look at mice and guinea pigs and rabbits, but also in humans. Uh, in, uh, in, in one study of uh, professional soccer players, uh, they looked at certain, uh, you know, a- amounts of immune system cellular components before a match and after a match. Hmm. And after a match, the concentrations were lower than the pregame levels. I, well, I mean, in a way, and, it makes sense. They're trying to serve. I mean, they're trying to survive that moment. Yeah. So your immunity is like, whatever, just don't die. Keep blood flowing. Right. So a lot of uh, exercise immunologists, I guess, would be the what some people would call themselves. Uh, they, they talk about this window uh, of opportunity, and that is anywhere from just a few hours to a few days post-exercise or post-competitive event hmm. uh, where immune system suppression occurs, but then after a, a, you know, a few hours to a few days, it comes back up to, wow. to its more, more normal level. Uh, so the point of that, Matt, is if you are going to uh, do something of high intensity or high duration, then uh, make sure that that you know post event during that window that you're working a little extra hard, you know, to avoid yeah. uh, infection, avoid yeah. contact with germs. So you know, uh, shower after the event. Uh, you know, uh, don't shake up a lot of people's hands. Don't, don't stick your finger in their eyes, their ears, their nose, their yeah, mouth. Yeah, or your own. Or, yeah. Yeah, those kinds of things. So that's that's just some of the advice. And there's also been some really interesting studies done in animal models. Uh, there was one uh, very I thought this was an interesting study fairly recently, 2008, in the in the journal Brain Behavior and Immunity, when mice ran on treadmills until they were exhausted. Uh huh. And and I thought, you know, what if the mouse just doesn't feel like running anymore? <laughs> so, uh, so I've I've seen this kind of a setup before, and it's. Uh, if you're a mouse lover, you know, you might find this uh, troubling. But So they have these, uh, a little electrified plate at the bottom of the treadmill. So if the mouse decides to just go off oh, the treadmill, shocked and they, they jump get back shocked, on. they jump back up on the treadmill. Oh, that's so, stressful. So, so you say, well, you know. Where do you get those? My wife wants me to have one of those. Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> I can maybe build you one. Yeah, could you build me one? Yeah. Uh, so when the mice run on the treadmills until they're exhausted, compared to the mice that rested, and then we're exposed to a flu virus. So we're talking about uh-huh. this little window, right? Uh, the rested mice had less flu and less severe symptoms of the flu. Wow. Yeah. And, and so they, they, they give the mice this uh, flu virus through a kind of inhaling it through their noses, uh, which is what a lot of times happens in humans exactly. as well. Uh, but then they did a second experiment. These researchers did a second experiment published in the same journal, and they compared the effects of rest than moderate exercise, which was 20 to 30 minutes on the treadmill, and excessive exercise, which was two and a half hours hmm. on the treadmill. Uh, and, that, and that was after a flu infection. And half 
And uh, this was a kind of flu that was particularly deadly to mice. Um, half of the sedentary mice died from the flu virus. Holy cow. Whereas only 12% of the moderately exercised mice died. And that then, is what? And, and, and then in the high intensity group, yeah. 70% died. Of, of the mice died. So you kind of see that that J-shaped curve, yeah. right? That's amazing because that actually that there there you go validation of the principle of moderation. Like yeah. be well and you see this too with the NBA athletes. Like we were I was following um Steph Curry's uh you know online blog for a right. while and the amount of sleep these guys have and and take and rest and just the treatment to their body and then they'll go play their big game and then they go have their meal and then they go to bed yeah. and then they it's just rest, 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 rest. And I, I thought, well, you're pro athletes. What? Well, you know, it's kind of interesting, too, because studies have been done in pro athletes because they obviously exercise at this high, high level yeah, every day. And, and uh, they tend to have uh, less of these kinds of illnesses than – uh, other people, even exercisers, yeah. and that is because they do take very good cares of. Well, yeah, know, they have professionals yeah. sitting there forcing them. Yeah, to... yeah. So during these windows, yeah. when they're more susceptible, they take extra caution, and so That's they they brilliant. do tend to stay more healthy. Man, this is interesting stuff. We're speaking. <laughs> uh, we're again. We're speaking with Ron uh, Hager, Doctor Ron Hager here from Brigham Young University. He's walking us through the importance of exercise, but it's not just what you think. It's just not it's not about calories per se. It's it might even be more valuable to your your immunity and to your ability to stay healthy. Stick with us when we come back. We're going to be talking about uh, should you exercise when you have a cold? And does that matter if the cold is, you know, above the neck or below the neck? He'll be giving us the latest research on that. Stick with us. Tons of insight ahead for you. This is the Matt Townsend show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to the beatdown of Santa. Suck it to me, Santa. Bob Sager, this is uh, Ben's favorite uh, Christmas song. I prefer Silent Night myself. We generally listen to this um, on Christmas Eve. We all sing it together as a family. Suck it to me, Santa. (laughs) Oh, you guys have such great traditions. Oh, that's so fun. Hey, in studio, Dr. Ron Hager's joining us. Associate Professor of Exercise Sciences in the College of Life Sciences here at BYU. Also an expert in chronic disease prevention. And today he's teaching us about uh, improving our, our immunity by exercise. It's not, exercise isn't just about losing weight. No, no, or, or about improving fitness. There's, uh, there's a lot of other things that can go on in the body uh, when you treat it uh, the way that you should. And, yeah. You know, and I mean, frankly... It's not hard to, to sort of reason in your own mind that the body was meant to move, mm-hmm. right? I mean, that's that's pretty obvious, isn't it? Right. Even, even though, as a as a society, as a culture, it almost seems like there's this pervasive uh, intent to make you move as little as possible. 
Well, right. Now yeah. now they have those little uh, – I don't know if you've heard about all the rage, the hoverboards that yeah. you can stand on. Yeah. And, yeah, it's got two wheels and mm-hmm. it's kind of like a – Kind of like a Segway without a handle yeah. sort of a thing. I mean, this, they're they're <laughs> catching on fire and exploding, so they're IEDs as well. Yeah. But but now there will be a day, don't you think, where everyone will just have one of those? You just yeah. lean forward and go to school. Yeah. It's, yeah, I mean, it's like the epitome of, of, or of accomplishment is to not have to move your legs. I hardly <laughs> move at all. <laughs> I'm a success. Stacy, push me to the car. Yeah. So, I, so I don't true. know. I don't know. But it, it's important to move. One of the questions— uh, that people have that comes up as well. If I'm sick, you know, should I exercise yeah. or not? Well, it seems like your body needs a break. Yeah, it it, it certainly can. Uh, and and the key I think here, Matt, is that you know a person really just needs to use common sense. Yeah, and they need to you know be honest with themselves in terms of how they feel. And I have found even in you know personally that I can either overestimate or underestimate. The symptoms that I might have, mm-hmm. depending on what I'm, what you want wanting to do. to do, or what somebody wants me. If to If you do. want to watch a movie you know. instead of exercising, you've got a lot of symptoms. Yeah, or yeah, you know, or you know, you know, I love to play tennis. Mm-hmm. So the temptation is, if I'm not feeling well, you know, I still want to do something I love. You know, if uh, I'm supposed to mop the kitchen floor. Uh, you know, I'm feeling pretty sick. Yeah. I don't know if I should do that. You know, so. All that ammonia might get in my. <laughs> so, so the idea is to be honest with yourself and <laughs> and, and your condition. Uh, you know, if if you don't feel well, uh, and and you have symptoms like a fever, or your body aches, mm-hmm. uh, which is oftentimes you know true when you have the flu, um, you should probably not exercise and maybe uh, you know take a week to ten days to recover. Uh, because you're, like I said, you, you know, depending on the nature of your exercise, you could actually be making making it harder for your body to recover. Yeah, you could, I best be, I guess, be damaging your immunity while you need, and your cell at the cell level when yeah. you really need it pumped yeah. up. And, and if you just have a common cold, like a you know head congestion, a mm-hmm. runny nose, uh, there's some actually some pretty good evidence to show that uh, you might actually find relief of symptoms. Uh, with some moderate level intensity exercise. Now you talk about head above the head, below the head, yeah, or so be- the, below the neck. Yeah, so that that that's some advice that uh, you know is fairly common that's out there. Uh, it's typically safe to exercise at lower intensities or durations. Uh, think about the mice studies. You know, twenty to thirty minutes on a treadmill kind of a thing. Uh, if you have above the neck symptoms. Uh, so if you have a runny nose or if you're sneezing or mm-hmm. if you have a sore throat, moderate intensity exercise may actually be beneficial. If you have below-the-neck symptoms, which might include things like fever or sore muscles or sore joints or vomiting mm-hmm. or diarrhea or a cough that yeah, produces mucus lungs. yeah, that comes out of your lungs, then it's probably best to just rest. It's probably uh, best to avoid exercise and physical exertion uh, altogether. Uh, there is a, a researcher uh, and an expert on exercise and immune function, uh, Dr. David C. Uh, Neiman. Uh, I, I've read a lot of his research, and um, he, he he recommends these things here: uh, exercise, uh, but don't overtrain. So, if if you're sick, uh, overtraining can really make things worse. Again, think about the mice. Right, right, right. Follow uh, the mice. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, if you just have a head cold, uh, it's okay to exercise. Uh, 
and like I said just a second ago, if you're ex- if you do exercise, uh, you know, if you have symptoms below the neck, you know, probably lay off. If you have symptoms above the neck, uh, you're okay. Um, but this 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 is something interesting that I I've you know when you think about that window that mm-hmm. we talked about, it kind of makes sense, right? He he advises to engage in moderate exercise, like a single bout. And there have been studies to show that there is a single bout effect. Your immune system is affected by a single bout. And if it's moderate exercise, it tends to enhance immune function, right? Right. So engage in some moderate exercise before you get a flu shot. Um, Oh, interesting, to help combat it. Right. He says that the physical activity could actually improve your body's response to the vaccine. Huh. And enhance your immunity to it's the It's just kind of like you're amping your system. It's just yeah. you're you're throttling it up a bit yeah. to work better. Yeah. It's, so I'd never thought of that. I think that's that, great. I think that's a good piece of – I've actually never had a flu shot. I, I've had I've had like three and two times nothing happened one time I got the flu. Yeah. So you haven't had one since? So or? I'm never doing it again. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I'm no longer going to exercise. <laughs> okay, good. I'm, I'm done. Now, but all... I am keeping my finger out of everyone else's eyes, ears, and nose, and mouth, and out of my own. Uh, no, I think you're going to be okay. That's then. half the battle. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> now, I, I don't want people to just think that, hey, you know, we've talked about exercise. That's the end of it. Uh, there, is, there is a role for good nutrition, too. Mm, right. Uh, I mean, we're talking about complementary things here. Uh, and, and nutrition does impact functioning and development uh, of the immune system. Uh, there's good, good evidence to show that Proper nutrition, proper eating habits does facilitate immune system response to pathogens. And it is known, and, you, and you'll recognize some of these, uh, there are a lot of uh, enzymes or micronutrients uh, that do affect immunity. And as this comes out of the research, then it falls into, uh, you know, the marketing right. uh, concepts. And so you get things, you've heard of things like zinc. Yeah. You know, that if you take uh, high doses of zinc, it may prevent... Uh, the cold or, or like a zinc lozenge if yeah, you're, or that, yeah. that kind of thing uh, and there's also others like iron and copper and selenium and vitamin a and vitamin e uh, so the question becomes well should i supplement with these right things? then now i just need a multivitamin yeah and and quite frankly there's no good evidence to show that uh that in a in a, a well-nourished person that these uh supplements mm-hmm. make any difference Obviously, in cases of malnourishment, where a person might not be now, I'm not talking about not getting enough food. I'm talking about you're getting plenty of food, but you're malnourished because essentially you're you're eating garbage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In that case, a a, a multivitamin or a a multivitamin mineral supplement could could be helpful. But there's there's also good evidence to show that megadose because a lot of people think oh, think, of, them think them. of some is good, more is better. Uh-huh. You know, I take two grams of vitamin C, or I take <laughs> you know, or whatever. Uh, the research actually shows that those megadoses kind of disrupt the balances in the body and predispose you sure. for illness. So they actually can can actually cause, in many cases, the very things that you think well, are, and you've are being talked, prevented. You've talked also about mechanism of delivery, right? So yeah. having an orange and the fiber in the orange and the vitamin C is a better combination than just inject, ingesting an orange or uh, uh, vitamin, uh, vitamin C. Yeah, yeah. In fact, our the, body needs the fiber as much as it needs the vitamin C. Yeah, and there's also the kind of the interaction between different kinds of uh, phytochemicals. Uh, you know, vitamin C is known to be an antioxidant, mm-hmm. but if it's just taken in its isolated form, it has very little antioxidant property. 
if it's in the food that it originates in, then somehow there's this synergy that occurs with the whole yeah. food, and the antioxidant uh, capacity goes up dramatically. So, so if you had to wrap it up, what what should we this holiday season? What would you recommend we do as far as uh, our exercise to to stay healthy? So, how do you maintain optimal immune function? Yeah. There, there's a couple of things, uh, Matt. Be, be regularly physically active, but use common sense depending on, you know, the nature of symptoms if you're already sick. Uh, eat a well-balanced diet. And, uh, you know, well-balanced, uh, you know, doesn't, like, like, like we were just talking, doesn't mean, you know, well, I ate a salad, so now I can eat, you Two know, Twinkies. Two Twinkies. <laughs> uh, it, it means, uh, you know, sticking with it no matter what. Yeah. Uh, Keeping life stress to a minimum. There's some pretty good research to show that stress and the response the body has to stress uh, can have a, a detrimental effect on immune function. So find ways to manage your stress and uh, and avoid chronic fatigue. And I'm not I don't mean like chronic fatigue syndrome. I just mean being exhausted and tired all the time. In other words, you need proper amount you know of adequate restful oh, yeah. sleep. Uh, you know, you you mentioned in, in athletics and professional athletes. You know, they compete, they eat, they sleep. They That's compete, it. they eat, they sleep, and they stay they stay pretty healthy. Yeah. Uh, you know, barring any kind of like physical injury, like a you know sprained ankle or something like that. So so that's the advice. That's uh, good advice. Be regularly active, eat well, reduce stress, and get get plenty of sleep. And you should stay healthy during the mm. holiday season. That's great advice, Doctor Ron. He's uh, he's helping us decrease our our chronic disease, which we need. Sure. And when we're done, he's going to take Ben aside and talk to him about some of Ben's problems. We are going to take a break, my friends. When we come back, wrap up the second hour of the show. Stick with us, helping you live longer, uh, love stronger, and lead healthier, happier lives. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We will be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Great insight from Dr. Ron uh, Hager. By the way, he also, uh, a point that he, he pointed out that we really ought to make sure we pay attention to, is that your immune function, your immunity, is suppressed during periods of very low caloric intake and quick weight reduction. So anytime you're on a diet and you're quickly trying to lose weight and low-calorie kind of intake your immunity drops as well. So be careful that as you're trying to lose weight and maybe during the after the holiday season, you're going to kick it into overdrive. Be careful because you might also, without even knowing it, negatively impact your immunity, decrease your ability to keep yourself healthy by aggressively dieting and trying to lose weight. Remember, we live, we're a system. We're a whole system. And uh, that's, you know, you got to pay attention to all the parts of the system. I also like we're learning the fact that balance, moderation, it's great. It it blew my mind to think that excessive exercise also for long periods of time um, in high, 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 high exertion negatively impacts your immunity. So think about that. Some of you are like – some of you are like doing aerobic shopping and you are hauling through all of these stores and working up a sweat, and you're doing it for three hours a night, 
remember, this might be why your immunity is starting to drop because you're exerting so much. You're doing so much right now. You're overwhelming yourself. You're getting less sleep. Some of you are on a diet so you look good for Christmas. Got to get your Christmas pictures. And you're around all these people with germs. Let's ask Beaker what he thinks. Oh, well. Beaker's not talking today. Anyway, folks, it's your immunity. So when you think of your health, don't just think of your body as far as calories in, calories out. Also think of immunity up, immunity down, health up, health down, endurance up. I mean, there's a lot of stuff we got to be paying attention to. Anyway, that's why we do. That's why we do the show. Come on, to give you the tools you need, the information you need. Just balance. That's what we're looking for. You know, tortoise in the hair. It's a long race. That's it. Hour number two, friends. We will take a break. We'll we'll be right back. And uh, next hour, more ideas to help you live longer, love stronger, lead a healthier, happier life. This is the Matt Townsend Show. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. Top of the morning to you. It's, it's getting closer, folks. Every day. A little bit closer to the day that uh, you get to celebrate with your family and, uh, you know, see if you uh, got the right presents or not. I guess that's the season, the Christmas season, the Christmas spirit. Yes. Did you buy the right thing at the mall? Did you ruin Christmas by getting (laughs) a really bad radio control car for your 13-year-old boy? Right. Who still holds that grudge to this day? You got to let that go, man. It was called... It was called the Chipmunk. My friend got the Lobo 2. Your he, friend got the Lobo 2. My friend got an awesome off-road yeah. vehicle. And you got I the got Chipmunk. The Chipmunk, which I was stunned, didn't turn when you put it in reverse. Wow. I was... Ugh. So your mom had to choose... I couldn't race the car in the house because the carpet fibers from the, the, the living room carpet would get wrapped around the wheel. And you must have had shag. You of, had shag. It wasn't a shag. It was a... Shag. Well, it, it was a shag. I guess. I guess it was. You know what? Let's just do that. Let's give a shout out or, you know, let's just give this advice to all parents. If you have to choose between the Lobo 2 or the Chipmunk for a remote control car, mm. always go with the Lobo. Always or, or, go with the or Lobo. Or pick something you want to play with. Well, don't do that. Because you, then you'd pick something that might be a little higher, a better quality vehicle than this thing that my parents got me you know santa once the chipmunk i'm gonna hear about this but oh uh santa once bought my son a humvee Mm. remote control truck okay that's huge yeah like has real air in the tires and it's amazing that thing you wouldn't believe what it would do to a chipmunk and a lobo do you want to play with that every Chance I get. It's fun, right? Way fun. Get something that's fun, not something that you can fit in a tiny little toolbox. But my kids complain that they never get a chance with that to- that toy. What's their fault? 
I know. They won. They got something awesome. Dad wants to play with it. That's right. It's uh, it's it's the time. It's that time of year, folks. That's why I bought Nerf guns for the entire family. I think that's so. Uh, well, don't say that out loud. If they know, well, he doesn't. He just doesn't listen. Yeah, that's the only person that doesn't. Your son need to doesn't know, listen to the show. Doesn't listen to the show. What? He's really? Day, he's at daycare. He's fine. That's sad. He's watching Mickey Mouse Club or something. Hey, um, you know what we do on the show is a lot of coaching. Really? Yeah. Is that what you call it? Yeah. Huh. Well, well that sounded rude. Um, <laughs> but what I like to do is I don't like to coach just, you know, people that want to be healthy. Mm. I also like to coach. Bad boys, bad boys. What you going to do? What you going to do when they come for you? I like to coach the bad boys. Those criminals that just just can't get it right. Yeah. They made a couple changes that oh, could be more successful. So close. So here's my advice. Uh, if you're going to rob a restaurant, okay, get in, get the loot, get out. Do not stop for dinner. Oh. And chew with your mouth closed. Ben. Ben, turn your mic off, man. So bad. Holy cow. He eats. Okay. Six 11-pound geese. Listen to this. 13 pounds of goose fat and liver. Three ducks. One gallon jar of pickles, butter, and a package of poppy seeds. Wow. I know. These are not the lyrics to A Christmas Carol of yore, but rather the food items enjoyed by an alleged thief accused of hiding in a restaurant in the Czech Republic at closing time and dining like a king overnight. How many geese? 11, six 11-pound geese. Whoa. That's 66 pounds of goose. Oh. That is just... Did he walk out or roll out? Yeah. He, he honked out. Honked 13 out. pounds of goose fat. No wow. way. I mean, he probably fried the geese. Do you think he prepared the meat? Did, no, it had to have been ready to go. He I couldn't have he, sat in there and cooked it all maybe up. Maybe he served the homeless. <laughs> Is that what he did? In the he middle opened, of the night. He opened up a, a kitchen. and Authorities say the man, variously Ugh. identified by the media as being 38 or 48. They can't quite tell because he's got so much uh, goose on board, um, so much <laughs> geese drippings, uh, sneaked into an unnamed Prague eatery and hid in the bathroom as staff were closing up on Sunday. When the coast was clear, he, as police put it, feasted royally on $800 worth of food. Wow. Apparently, he had no room for dessert but wrapped up a strawberry cake to take with him. <laughs> this one's for the road. He also packed some clothes uh, away, including the chef's pants, huh. and searched the bar and employee lockers for money, authorities said. Hopefully, the chef's pants had the elastic waistband because he's going to need it. Yeah. Because he fills out from the they feast. Be- they believe that his plan was to sneak out again in the morning. Instead, he was discovered by a cleaner who arrived around 9 a.m. when he was in a food coma (laughs) with his belt unlatched (laughs) for his gut to uh, have more space. Now the man faces two years in prison, and I'm going to bet, I'm going to bet he'll be uh, working in the kitchen. Kitchen. Okay. Do you think he prepared the food? Well, it sounds like it. He even made a cake, apparently. Man. How do you eat a package of poppy seeds? Maybe that was a— Yum, yum, yum. Like he garnished the food with it, just yeah. spread it around. I bet he was smoking those. You think he just opened and down the down package? the poppy seeds? I don't know. I don't know. That's crazy. Anyway, we're here to help everybody. Equal opportunity, Coach. Uh, let's get to the headlines now. Find out what's going on around the rest of the world. Terry, what you got? Thanks, Matt. A Portland, Oregon woman who police say intentionally ran over dozens of people 
in Las Vegas on Sunday was identified as 24-year-old Lakeisha N. Holloway. She was driving with a three-year-old passenger, according to police. Holloway allegedly ran into the Vegas pedestrians around 6.30 p.m. on a sidewalk, killing one, injuring 37 more. Clark County Sheriff Joseph Lombardo says the investigation is ongoing. We haven't determined to the exact fact what the motive was. Uh, we believe that she uh, she had some disassociation with the father of her child. We don't know the exact uh, recipient event that caused it, her to snap. Holloway was booked at the Clark County Detention Center early Monday. Holloway charged with murder, first-degree child abuse or neglect, and duty to stop at the scene of an accident. Booking records show. Jail records list her initial cash bail around $5,000. That story will continue. Mm. Each December, the nonpartisan fact-checking website PolitiFact chooses the year's biggest falsehood. But in 2015, thanks to Republican presidential frontrunner Donald Trump, they couldn't select just one claim worthy of being a lie of the year. So instead, that honor went to all of Trump's campaign misstatements. Of the 77 Trump claims PolitiFact has tracked or tackled so far, 76% of them have rated mostly false, false, or pants on fire. Okay, but one thing he is is consistent. <laughs> he is one consistent candidate. They say Trump hasn't apologized or backtracked on any of his statements, PolitiFact notes. Instead, when challenged, he offers flimsy explanations and suggests he shouldn't be held accountable or simply insists that he is right. <laughs> he has friends that are Muslim. That's what he says. And they agree with him. They're happy to... <laughs> have a ban on Muslims coming into okay. the country. The NFL has backed out of an ambitious Boston University brain study meant to assess the dangers related to head trauma caused by football, was reported by ESPN this morning. The league, which spent years criticizing researchers who warned about the dangers of such, such trauma, has now severed ties with the seven-year $16 million initiative. The National Institutes of Health awarded the project to a group led by a prominent Boston University researcher who has been critical of the league, and the NFL reportedly balked at the, that decision to include him. This comes out. This comes the week the movie Concussion yeah. hits theaters. That's talking about how the researchers got to the point, and the NFL had to admit that there is a concussion problem in the NFL. So they were with them until this one researcher that's been critical of them was kind of put in head, put to the head of the study, and huh. so they backed out at that point because of his association. Wow. Seems like the information will still come out. Last night I turned on the uh, Monday Night Football. Yeah. A guy makes a tackle, goes to stand up, obviously woozy and can't make his way to his feet, so players Concussion. are trying to keep him down, and then uh, he stands up and is wobbling off the field. Uh, the referee runs over, stops him, waits for the trainers to come over, and they escort him off the field. He got oh, popped in the head, and he couldn't stand up. And then the New York Giants, Odell. Odell just... Beckham went head-to-head -head over the weekend with another player, and they uh, they suspended him for a game because head-to-head -head hits are illegal. Mm. And he led with his helmet. So, I mean, the, the NFL, they're leading there. They're making rules. But those were decisions were made uh, kind of you, – you go back and look, and it feels like they felt like they had to do it. Yeah, it was on camera. Not that camera. they wanted to. It was <laughs> yeah. on camera. They had to do something. Uh. Finally, Google and Ford will create an independent company to build autonomous vehicles, according to a report from Yahoo Audio of Yahoo Autos. Yahoo. So Yahoo News. The joint venture will reportedly be announced by the two companies at the uh, Consumer Electronic Expo next month. Uh, last week, Google said it would move its self-driving car efforts out of Google and into separate 
uh, corporation, uh, Alphabet is the parent corporation right. for Google now. Uh, and this partnership could be related. It would be, give both companies something they need. Google gets valuable expertise in how to mass produce automobiles, which Ford has. But Ford gets Google's year of real world autonomous drive research. They've been driving these cars all over the place for years. Right. And both of them need that expertise. Ford only recently received approval to test drive vehicles on the streets of California. So. What do you think? Automatic. I'm excited for it. Let's do it. You want that? You want to jump in, sit down, have like a Uber type experience? Take a nap. Just go to sleep. It takes you where do you need to go. Do my show prep. Just sleep all the way here. <laughs> but I have mean, you ever seen the movie iRobot? Yes. That's a problem. I think it's me robot. Maybe it's no, iRobot. It's, it's iRobot. Yeah, it feels like it's me. Yeah, but don't worry. They won't take over. They're not. They're not going to take That's over. That's what they yeah. said. You know where they'll start when they take over? They're going to take over the ice cream business. So no, that, that's a profession that y- can't be taken over. Your whole robots. industry, gone. No. Gone! Um, we are going to take a break. When we come back, though, uh, there are many that struggle with the holiday season. We've talked about this before. Uh, it's hard on some. But it, it, it also might be hard on others that are suffering with addictions to, to stay safe, to stay clean, to stay sober. And uh, there might be some things that we all need to learn if we are struggling with addiction um, and, and how to make it through this holiday season, how to face our temptations and uh, tame the addiction. Stick with us, folks. Interesting subject coming up. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, uh, some people through this holiday season, it's it's hard, right? We've talked about just the mere fact that there's a lot of memories, uh, a lot of loss that we have to deal with uh, with people that aren't here. Sometimes the traumas of our past um, also are felt through this holiday season. And so it's, it can be a difficult battle anyway. But if you are going through an addiction, if you currently have an addiction, it, it might even be more difficult for you. Many aspects of the holidays can tempt former addicts to go into relapse or to foster addictive behaviors. How can we survive the holidays with an addiction or help a member who is struggling this season? Uh, Dr. Adi uh, Jaffe is joining us. He has been studying these uh, issues of uh, drug addiction, sex addiction, gambling addiction for the past eight years. And he has a wonderful website um, called addictionalternatives.com where where you can go find out more about him. Um, Dr. Adi Jaffe, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Thanks so much for having me on, Matt. You bet. Great to have you. For me, this this is a really important subject, isn't it? Because we're going to be inviting friends, family, all these people over to our homes, and we don't necessarily know what everyone's going through. Some are going to be suffering with addiction. What? What? Talk to us just about the impact of addiction and and how this how the holiday season may may help or hurt these uh, sure. people. Sure, and yes, I, I think this is exactly the right time to be focusing on this because, as you pointed out, Matt, I mean, this is something that impacts about twenty four to. 30 million Americans, so about literally one-tenth of Americans are being impacted by this directly. And then indirectly, the families, therefore, you can, you can pretty much pinpoint where every family has this 
happening to some member within it. Right. And as you pointed out, the holidays are one of those times where you invite people over, and it's supposed to be this jolly good time, and everybody's enjoying themselves. But there is this added weight as well. You throw even just alcohol into the mix, and you you don't always know what the uh, consequences might be. Right. You know, alcohol, I'm actually just writing an article about this. Alcohol is the only drug we have in our society now where even if you have a problem with it, you are likely going to be offered it at a party. Um, you're going to go to some event, and somebody's going to ask you if you want a glass of champagne or, or a glass of wine or a drink without ever really considering whether you might have a problem with it. Oh, that is so true, isn't it? Like, I mean, and I, I you know, this we're at Brigham Young University. We, we're not big drinkers, right? We don't believe in, in sure. drinking yet. So I, I already know what it feels like to kind of stand out being the one person at a cocktail party that's not drinking. Yeah. But to even harder, I had never thought of this, is the alcoholic that is fighting, wanting to drink, socially being active by drinking, and yet they're fighting their great addiction. That's amazing. Yeah, and I would even say, I would ratchet it back a little bit. You don't even have to be an alcoholic. You can just, let's say you just had a trauma, you mentioned trauma in your life, and you're not feeling that great, and you have anxieties and and stressors that are going on in life, and you use alcohol. Maybe it hasn't been a problem lifelong, but you've been relying on it a little bit more than uh, you have in the past recently. This is a really dangerous period for you, and and I think having these conversations and preparing for what to do when you go to events or how to host events in a responsible way can make all the difference for millions of people in the United States. Oh, I lo- it's so true. And because another thing that you bring up in your article, you wrote a wonderful article on psychology today uh, about addiction during the holidays, and one of your points is that th- at the holiday season, we also trigger a lot of stuff, right? Talk about that and, and how do addiction and triggers work? Absolutely. Look, I mean, I love my family. I'm sure you do too, Matt. But there are always little elements of long periods of time, of concentrated time with your family that can bring up things from the past, that can create this comfort, right? That little story your aunt tells yeah. seems so so happy for everybody else and they're laughing about it and you're just sitting there embarrassed the entire night um those things are things we don't mean to do to other people and yet they keep happening over and over and over and so again like i said you don't have to be an alcoholic people drink more during the holidays whether they have a problem with alcohol or not because of these specific instances right you have to spend three or four days with your mother who is great um, on a regular basis, but then when you have to spend that much time living in her house, other <laughs> things come up. And next right. thing you know, you're sneaking in a glass of wine when nobody else um, is seeing it. And so I think it's important, and what I talk about in the article and, and throughout with our clients and alternatives, is it's important to prepare, right? Who's going to be at the event? What are the con- what are the, What's the context within which you're going to celebrate the holidays? Are you staying at your parents, or is that a maybe not the best idea and even though it's a little bit more expensive it would be nice to actually get a hotel room dr audi are you there are you oh yeah we we lost you for a minute there uh but then that's a great idea because even if it costs me a little bit more to stay at a hotel if i don't have to tempt myself with my with my addiction um then that might be healthier yeah and if you've been if you've ever been to one of those holiday parties when somebody gets too tipsy and make a fool of themselves. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, it's, yeah. it's always a relative. My, it's always a, <laughs> I mean, there, and there, I remember as a child watching, you know, aunts, uncles getting so drunk that they, they couldn't even be, they couldn't even get home. Exactly. Just, so then it was so, sleepover. Right, right. And, and unplanned sleepover. Yeah. And so I think by giving a little bit of thought ahead of time and preparing, we can end up um, protecting ourselves from many of those things. Uh, nowadays, and I don't know how popular this is, let's say, around BYU, but you know, I live in Los Angeles. There are alternative ride um, solutions, whether mm-hmm. it's Uber or Lyft or one of those things. Uh, even making those plans so you don't have to kind of embarrass yourself and say, hey, uh, I can't really drive. Can I crash? Yeah. Can I, can I sleep on your couch today? Um, but even, again, even more so, if you know that there's going to be a relative there who triggers you or even somebody who, when you were younger, you used to share drinks with and kind of party with, but you don't really want to do that now, putting the forethought into your mind is a very well-recognized um, construct in psychology where if you plan well for an event, your brain has already seen yourself pass through all the different phases the night might bring up. Hmm. You are much more likely to follow the plan than if you had no plan to start with. That's great. And, and, and so really, make the plan. And maybe it's even worth sitting down, thinking it through. What am I going to face? Have your exit strategy. I mean, the neat thing about having a car, and it doesn't happen with Uber as much, but if you like back in the day when you had to have a town car or a taxi, you could you could have it scheduled so that it's going to arrive at a certain time. Yep. And then you know your exit is by this time. You've got to leave, right? Um, and in the same uh, bend, if we can just, especially uh, based on where you are, we can move to how hosting could help individuals struggling. Yeah, talk about that because that's a big responsibility. It is. And having, you know, look, we, we're all trying to be nice to people when we offer a glass of wine or we offer them a drink. But I would urge people not to push alcohol on their guests. Um, have it available if that's part of what you do without a question and you don't have to feel embarrassed about that in any way, shape, or form but also have non-alcoholic options. And I'm really a big fan of having fun non-alcoholic options, right? It, it shouldn't have to be a choice between, <laughs> I'm sorry for those who love water, between boring water and, yeah. a fun, and fun 15 alcoholic options. <laughs> there, right. should be, there should be apple cider and, you know, maybe punch and other things that people can enjoy, you know, diet and non-diet versions of the same thing. Hmm. Um, and also alcohol. And you can offer people, you know, do you want a glass of wine? And then leave it at that. They can see the options. They can choose a drink. I think we feel sometimes like we should keep offering people the drink option. Sometimes that might be irresponsible. I agree. And and offer food, right? Make sure that they're also consuming food. And, I mean, maybe there's a time, too, where you stop offering drinks. Absolutely. I mean, there are a couple of things there. First of all, it's very important for people who do struggle with alcohol, and, and again, even people who are just leaning on it more in the recent past, to have a mix of alcoholic and non-alcoholic drinks when they drink. We actually um, propose that people alternate. So for every one alcoholic drink that you have, have a non-alcoholic drink. The second piece is know how much of a glass of wine is. People get surprised by what five ounces of wine looks like in a, in a glass. It looks smaller than you think, and that's a single serving of wine. Hmm. Um, and then the other piece you mentioned is great. If you know that the party is going to end around, let's say, 10 p.m., you know, serving people alcohol at 9.45 with 
who have to drive might not be the most responsible right. thing for them or for you. And by the way, just so you know, uh, you're, you can be held liable if somebody does get in, a, in an accident and they drank alcohol at a late hour. Um, at your party. At, at your event. I didn't know that. Wow. Yeah, yeah that adds a so, whole new... Yeah, now you need yeah. liability insurance or whatever for your party. <laughs> for your holiday party. Or just be or just be a little bit more aware yeah. and more responsible, right? Well and I guess I guess understand your guests. Like if you know some yeah. are struggling and have struggled with addiction, you know, maybe be there for them more. Be supportive in other ways. I love that and I I think that might be your approach more because you're coming from Brigham Young. Some people feel Oh, I, Oh, Audie, we lost you. We lost you for a second there. Say that again. Some people feel like maybe they shouldn't invite the individuals who struggle with alcohol. Right. Okay. I really, I really urge us away from that sort of exclusion. You yeah. know, like I said, it it can be made so much easier than that. It can just be offer some non-alcoholic options so they get to enjoy. They get to be part of the party. They don't have to feel excluded. And everybody gets to have a good time. No, I totally agree. I love that. Uh, let's take a break. We're speaking again with Dr. Udi Jaffe, and he's uh, he's walking us through a wonderful article that he wrote on Psychology Today about addiction during the holidays. Recovered or not, it's important to be prepared. He's giving us some tools, some ideas for how we can handle that uh, and, and our addictions during this time of season. Go to the website, alternativeaddictions.com, uh, alternativeaddictions.com. Dot com and you can get more information about him there. You can also go and get any of his articles on the website, allaboutaddiction.com. We'll be back. More right here on the Matt Townsend Show, giving you the tools you need for a healthy, happier holiday season. Stick with us. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Uh, talking about addiction during the holidays, um, how do you face the temptations? Uh, so far, we've, we've talked a lot about alcohol, and, and that just plays such a big part at holiday parties on, during the holiday season. And Dr. Um, Udi Jaffe's joining us. He's uh, got a wonderful website, addictionalternatives.com, and another website you can go to, allaboutaddiction.com, where you can get all of the access to all of his writings, everything he's he's uh, written about. He talks a lot about um, depression and addiction, ADHD, just different topics like that. Dr. Jaffe, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me. And I stopped driving, so hopefully I won't cut out. Now. Oh, good. I, I'm as worried. I don't want to lose you. In uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, You're probably where, – where are you? What are you doing for the holidays? Are you on the road I'm, to somewhere? I'm actually in Los Angeles. My family's um, – what, gone to D.C. to the East Coast, and I'm going to join them tomorrow. Oh, wonderful. Oh, good. So, yeah, yeah but be careful. You know, they'll serve you drinks on the airplane. <laughs> um, talk about, because well, I think one of the things we think, too, about our addictions is, oh, well, this is a new year. Maybe it's time to do New Year's resolutions. Is is that the way we should kind of go about confronting the addiction is a resolution how what do you think how 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 do i what are some other things i can do around this time of year to start to get uh, get ahead of it that's a really really good question and i think there are some things i don't consider them resolutions i'm a big fan of 
having some standard ways you do things that can keep you in check. So, for instance, I do drink, even though I've had a drug problem in the past. I do drink. I've been drinking responsibly for about 12 years. It's not a problem. And yet, for the last few years, I take January off completely. Mm. I don't drink. I didn't drink at all for the entire month of January. And there are multiple reasons for that. Um, first of all, I think that taking a planned break is relatively easy for people. What I mean by that is the notion of not drinking forever, let's say, is a very difficult notion for a lot of people. Right, right. Um, but t- taking a month off is less so, and yet you learn a lot by taking just 30 days off. Your body gets to reset any tolerance that you might have had. You also, you know, the nice thing we do with all of our clients, let's say, at Alternatives, the treatment center, is you really have to learn how to deal with life without alcohol. Mm. Adding alcohol into the mix as a supplement can can be an okay deal for people who don't have, you know, beliefs against it, et cetera. But it's not something you want to rely on on a regular basis to help you deal with life. And even just taking one month off can show you some areas of life where maybe you've kind of let go of having to deal with them on your own because you've been relying on that one drink after work every night. Yeah, and it resets you. I like that idea a lot. It also seems like a lot of people that have addictions might compensate with other with other, you know, uh, what do they call it? Just other stimulants or other things that keep them uh, sure. going. So I, I guess, so if somebody, let's say, has a gambling addiction, I mean, yeah. I, we do the same thing maybe. I guess see if you can take a month off from gambling. You don't have to quit gambling altogether. Just take January off. Yeah, you know, I mean, look, taking any break is a great idea. Again, whether you're really addicted or you have, um, or you just have a problem controlling yourself sometimes around specific behaviors. Gambling is a, is a, another one of those examples where there are some elements within our society where gambling is sanctioned and is okay. You know, mm-hmm. think the lottery, think, um, you know, all these... Um, yeah, the sports sites. Leagues, yep, all the leagues that everybody gets into around uh, NCAA tournaments and football season and all those sorts of things. So in some contexts, gambling seems to be okay, but I've seen gambling destroy lives and families. And I think... For most of the people that I've seen around gambling addiction, as soon as money gets involved in gambling, there's a, like you said, there's sort of this other kind of payoff that they get that they can be very, become very reliant on. Oh, I mean, I've seen it too. And and I've seen similar addictions, you know, sex addictions. Um, and I'm sure you've seen pretty much everything there. What do we do as, as family members, Adi, if, if, if all of a sudden, um, Friends or, or and family members we know are suffering through addiction. We, what? How are we supposed to play play alongside of it? Do we? Because we we want to help them and we want to be firm, but we want to be loving. And sometimes they don't need the firmness; they need more love. How do we know what to do? Okay, great. So I, I gave a TEDx talk on this. If somebody just looks up my name and TEDx, it'll come up. And I think this is a very important point because most of us don't have a hard time dealing or I mean we're not comfortable with it but we understand how to deal with physical dysfunction you know mm-hmm. if we see somebody who's injured or um, or maybe has a lifelong um, disability that puts them in a wheelchair something along those lines we understand their limitations we understand what they can and can't do for the most part we accept it and we're good with it but once we step into mental health problems and I talk about this a lot in the TEDx because we don't see the brain and you know people who are depressed clinically or have panic attacks or who have an addiction problem, they all look the same. 
um, we have a really hard time understanding what we should be expecting. Yeah. And so one of the things that I would urge people to do is either study up on this or, and what I mean by that is just the brain function in general, or have an understanding that the brain is a very physical part of the body. And when somebody is experiencing depression, for the most part, what that means is their brain is sending signals to their body that things are wrong, that there's hopelessness, that, you know, their motivation is low, that, you know, they need more sleep than they would like to or get normally, or that they, you know, they lose motivation and interest. If somebody has panic attacks, um, you know, there's getting fear-based signals to their body. It's not as simple as just turning it off because it's uncomfortable right now. And the same thing around substance use, addictions, compulsive behaviors, or things of that nature. While there is absolutely an element of personal responsibility and choice, if you think about it for a second, and if you really study these things, the mechanisms that allow us to make choices in the brain are actually very complicated mechanisms. It's not as simple as you always get to do what you want. Yeah. It's okay. I, I have a small example that I like to say to people yeah. because a lot of our a lot of our clients get this from family members all the time. They, um, you know, they tell them, look, you're making a choice to drink. You need to stop. And I, I go to a very simple choice that all of us make, right? I put shoes on every morning. And ideally, I have the choice of whatever shoes I want to put on. But in reality, that's not really all that true, right? I get to pick only from the shoes that are in my closet or at my house, only the shoes that fit me. I have to somehow match my shoes to whatever it is I'm doing. I can't wear flip-flops to work, even though my wife would like me to sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so even in a simple scenario, like putting on shoes in the morning, we are limited by our foot size, the events we're going to, the context, the environment, and things of that nature. And so you take a much more complicated choice, like am I going to have a drink right now or not? And those things, including our biological predisposition and all of those things play a very, very important role. And what I talk about in my TEDx is I want all of us to consider that our expectations around other people's behavior play a massive role in how they behave. And so if you think your Uncle Joey is irresponsible and will end up drinking himself to oblivion uh, on Christmas Eve, you actually end up making it more likely that they'll do that in very subtle ways that you Hmm. might not be aware of. And so we have to get to a point where we accept some responsibility for other people's behaviors because our perception of them, you know, if we look at ADHD kids as being incapable at school, we inevitably end up making them a little bit dumber and perform yeah. worse at school. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's and it self-fulfills. It absolutely does. And there has been, again, I don't want to go into this in detail, but I go in the TEDx talk, I go into detail about the research around this. And... There's very good research that shows that I can change your behavior without you ever knowing simply by subtle cues mm. and the way that I believe you are going to perform. No, I told, and I totally believe that. Um, man, it's such, it's such good stuff. And that TED Talk is amazing. Go, if you just go, uh, you can go find it on our Twitter account, at Dr. Matt Show. We, will, we have it posted there. Or go to any of his websites, addictionalalternatives.com or um, allaboutaddiction.com. Again, Dr. Uh, Udi Jaffe, great stuff, really great stuff. And all of us, let's, let's remember, we're all in this together, and it's not as simple as we want to make it. Uh, addiction is a very complicated brain issue, and uh, we can. We can influence it by just being more influenceable. Interesting stuff. We'll take a break, folks. Come back. Visit our good buddies down at BYU Sports Nation. Find out what's going on uh, in their show at the top of the hour. Stick with us. We'll be right back. 
Friends, a little pentatonics for you. Mm, they're good. This reminds me of BYU Sports Nation and all of their incredible sound effects. Uh, we're going to shoot it down to our good buddies, Spencer Linton and Brian Logan, filling in for Jerem. Hello, gentlemen. Welcome to the show, guys. How you doing? I can hear you. I Oh, I can hear you. Well... We'll just enjoy a little pentatonics. Hello, can you hear us, guys? Mm. No such luck. I can hear their papers rattling. They're right there. They just don't know. We are listening to them. Spencer and Brian, can you hear us? Okay. We'll continue to get them on. They're just probably recovering. They've had an incredibly busy weekend with the BYU game and with the um, with the announcement of Kalani Sataki as the new head coach for Brigham Young University. And then they had two shows yesterday. So they're probably just talked out. They're actually probably speaking right now, but their voices are shot. Guys, can you hear us? I can hear you. How are you, Spencer? Just enjoying my Nutrigrain bar. I know we could hear it. We could hear it. But you weren't answering. So you I the rapper? Yeah, I could hear the rapper. And then um, <laughs> is uh, maybe it's because you were chewing, and when you chew, you can't hear. I yeah. wasn't chewing so loud that I couldn't hear. No, we actually recorded it. We're going to play the song, The Sound of You Chewing. Oh, my goodness. And the, it was subtle, because, but it was real. Listen up. Oh my Can you hear that? Listen, listen my Holy wife would have divorced Spencer. me eight years ago if I chewed like that. <laughs> and yeah, yeah, that was it. That's disgusting. I know. We couldn't believe you were doing it. <laughs> that was some granola bar you had, some Nutrigrain bar. Blueberry it, for the win. <laughs> Bing. Blueberry for the win. Is uh, is Brian around or is he in the back getting his... Brian's with me. He's just so thoroughly disgusted yeah. by what he just heard that he yeah. has no words. Brian they always just, take... they just told me. They just told me not to talk. So. Okay, is that what he said? Mm. Brian, um, they, you were, I thought you were off getting waxed and ready to go. Like I know you put no, on a lot of makeup. Got, I already got my eyebrows waxed last week, so I'm good. You know what? Don't admit that. Why? No, Brian. Right. No, no. I'm, hey, I'm comfortable. There's one man myself. that is not afraid of uh-uh. things like that. No, <sighs> I'm not afraid. Bring it More on. power to him. Totally. Hey, I've Bring got some good news for you guys. Okay. Um, do you guys like wings? Buffalo wings? Like yes. chicken wings? So listen to this. The Buffalo Wild Wings franchise has announced a new flavor. I want to know if you guys are interested. Uh, inspired by citrus-flavored soda Mountain Dew. So they have Mountain Dew wings. Mountain Dew wings. Disgusting. Uh, the flavor will be known as Zesty Citrus and was meant to celebrate Buffalo Wild Wings' sponsorship of the Citrus Bowl. Disgusting. Am I so boring that I just like traditional wings? Yes. No. I like traditional wings, too. Well, barbecue sauce is good for me. I don't like barbecue sauce, though. The honey? Do you like the honey ones? Ooh. The honey honey barbecue? Um, I like. I forgot what I like. But I, I, it's too many decisions at Buffalo Wild Wings. Like I can never decide. Ugh. 
Huh. Mountain Dew. Yeah. Citrus. I wonder if it has like a Ugh. caffeine kick to it. Mountain Dew doesn't even taste good, period. So I don't understand why they would do that. Ooh, listen to this, though. Tell me this world. doesn't sound good for real. The bold citrus flavor of Mountain Dew was infused with lemongrass and spicy red pepper flakes to create a blast of sweet and spicy that will leave the guest asking for more. That person should get fired. This will last for three weeks on the menu. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Three weeks. It's like, it's like, this reminds me of, it reminds me of why black licorice keeps getting sold. Oh, stores. come like, on. It, it's disgusting. Brian, it, there are a lot of people that like black I licorice. I like black licorice. No, you, I, I'm judging you. I normally no. don't judge. If Brian, you like black licorice. I don't I'm see judging. color, Brian. I'm not talking to you for a good five seconds. <laughs> I don't see color, Brian. I just see, I just see black old style flavor. Good and Plenty's too, Brian? Mm. All right, my five seconds are up. I could talk now. Um, <laughs> good and Plenty, what's that? Oh, we got to get Brian some Good and Plenty's. It's kind of like a black licorice. Oh, no, I don't, want none, I don't want no part of that. It's like I a, think you would actually like be okay with look, it. Look, I, like I like the fruity things, the Skittles, the Starburst, the Gush, fruit snack, any type of fruit snack, Smiley's, all that, fruit by the foot, that's what I like. <laughs> mm-hmm. I will take that over, over dessert, so over brownies and, and cookies and, and cake, except for my grandma's chocolate cake, but so ice Brian, cream, all that stuff. You like your foot by the your fruit by the foot? Mm-hmm. Oh, how, dude, he's a gusher maniac. How many mm. feet of fruit do you eat a day? Ooh, that is a good question. So we go to Costco, we buy the 42 <laughs> uh, box, and I we probably eat that in like three days. Holy cow, that's like I 11? Not, I am not lying. You guys what is that? That's like 14 feet a day. It's yeah. It's, I mean, it's my wife helps out. My son a little bit, <laughs> but yeah, it's mostly me. What are you guys doing for the holidays? Oh, we got to get you to your show. I'm sorry, I just could ask you a million. We're questions. working for the holidays. Oh, are you? Darn it! I'm just I'm gonna working. go home and veg. <laughs> <laughs> are you both working? Is Brian working for the holidays? He's working today. Yeah, and tomorrow and tomorrow. And I think I got Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday next week. Man, mm. and. Everything ready? We got everything for the kids? Is Jet, you know, you got him, you got Jet ready? I got Jet ready. As <laughs> ready as a seven-week-old baby can be. They're the hardest, yeah. dude. They are so hard. What do you buy a seven-week-old? Diapers. Diapers and uh, quiet time. That's <laughs> it. That's it. Hey, I've got a beautiful granddaughter that wants to date him. She's mm-hmm. about six weeks. Okay. So we can arrange uh, something. Yeah, arrange, arrange I mean, let's up. just wait till they're done drooling, and then you know, get them together. Maybe a little lunch date. Okay. I, I, hey, listen. Now that we have any the more grandkids out of the way, for, I, for my, no, my but I will. I will, Bry. I'll be okay, having cool. another one in probably three years. All right. Done. Are you guys now, having another one there? Yeah, we had one already. Yeah, that'll be great. Mm-hmm. But, <laughs> but I my my grandkids will probably like black licorice. Okay. I'm just saying. Hey, what, hopefully black people too. Uh, they, again, we see we don't see color. We don't taste color. We don't see color. Hey, Matt, did you hear the BYU got a new football coach? No, they did? Yeah. Holy cow. Uh-huh. uh-huh. Uh, who is it? His name is Kyle Whittingham, said Steve Harvey. Oh, wait. It's Kalani Satake. Juke joke. That's great. He's he that was a great uh that was a great interview yesterday. He's like he oh, just man. kept saying, "Let's, yeah, I really want to get to it. So let's just end this. Let's just end this press conference and get to it." Well, he ended that press conference and walked right over to Studio B to do his first 
in-studio sit-down interview as a head coach right here with BYU Sports Nation. Holy cow. And your opportunity to hear that again airs it, in about, well, the show starts in five minutes, so you should just watch from the start of yeah, the show. Yeah, you got to watch from the start because you don't yep. want to get in the middle of it. Full yeah. effect. That's awesome. Congratulations on getting that interview because he didn't seem like he wanted to talk to anybody anymore. <laughs> Hey, not only that, we gave him some swag, and he was sporting it around campus yesterday. Was he real? That's great. Mm-hmm. Mm. You guys, he seems like he's the real deal. He'll be great. Absolutely. What uh, What else is on your show? Not that anything else matters. You've got the head coach. BYU's all-time leading rusher, Harvey Unga. Uh-huh. Also, Jeff Judkins, head coach of women's basketball. They've won six straight. They're trying to go for seven. Sweet. You know, it's what we do. So, you know what? It's a great show. And you've got Brian Logan. And black licorice. And black licorice and some good and plenties. We'll send them down. No, no black no black licorice. Just a black guy. Just a black just a black guy that hates black licorice. That's right. That is so rude. Um, anyway, have a good show, guys. Knock them dead. Sir. Be good. You got it. That's cool. I like black licorice. Ben, do you like black licorice? I mean licorice is we don't need to say black licorice. It's just licorice. That is what licorice is, is black licorice. So my grandma makes homemade black licorice. Mm. I like that, but I don't like any other. You know what? Bring him, bring, bring him, bring me some. Yeah. Call grandma. Tell her, tell her I'd love to taste some of that licorice. There's a 40-year-old man that wants some of your black licorice. 40? I appreciate the compliment. <laughs> oh, sorry. Is it 50? That is rude. Try 46. Oh, okay. Sheesh. Hey, did you hear this crazy story? A man uh, makes a getaway in a 20-ton garbage truck. And then again, this is again a little coaching segment for the criminal element. If you're going to steal a vehicle, like a 20-ton garbage truck, to get away, please make sure that you know how to shift it and get out of first gear. This uh, truck tried to get away. The guy jumped in it. 20-ton garbage truck. And he couldn't shift it. He did not know how to get out of first gear. Eventually, the law caught up with him. Those, those darn cops that can get into second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth gears. And uh, they just passed him, stopped him. He drove eight miles at less than 12 miles an hour in first gear, and he was finally caught. Just before officers swooped in on him, though, the 28-year-old pulled the truck over, its engine screaming into a 7-Eleven and allegedly used the truck uh, driver's credit card to buy cigarettes and other items. That's pretty sad. You know, be careful. If you're going to steal a truck, make sure you know how to shift the gears. And we always like to end with a hero story. Our hero of the day is a mall Santa Claus who plays hero to a boy with autism. This comes from the DetroitNews.com. After a six-year-old West Michigan boy told Santa what he wanted for Christmas, the high-energy child suddenly returned and made a shy admission to the jolly old elf. Landon Johnson told Chris Kringle that he had autism, and he worried that perhaps his diagnosis would put him on Santa's naughty list because sometimes it causes him to act out in school. It's okay to just be yourself, replied Santa, with a reassuring calmness that the little boy needed to hear. Um, the heartfelt scene was recently played out at a Santa display in the Rivertown Crossing Mall in Granville near Grand Rapids. Landon went to see Santa with his mother, cousins, and aunts and was so excited to see him and tell him of his autism that he began flapping his hands. 
How cool is that? His mother, Naomi Johnson, posted a photo of the caption on Facebook on Monday that showed Landon bonding with Santa during their five-minute chat. Santa sat him next to him and took uh, Landon's hands in his, started rubbing them, calming them down. Santa asked if Landon, if it bothered him having autism. The post caption reads, Landon said yes, sometimes. Then Santa told him it shouldn't. It shouldn't bother him to worry uh, to him to be who he is. You need to be Landon, Santa told him. He said, Santa, sometimes he gets into trouble at school and it's hard for people to understand what he wants because he has autism and that he's not a naughty boy. Santa told Landon not to worry about it, that he's been a very good boy and uh, he's being a very good boy that he really is deep down. Anyway, beautiful story. Santa, to all of the Santas uh, and Santa's helpers out there, you're heroes. You're changing the lives of people, especially when you take them on one at a time and how powerful it can be to help a person feel like they are special and important. So let's make sure, not just with the kids, but with all of our friends and family, we take the time during the holiday season to, to help them cope with and deal with their own disabilities, their own insecurities. That truly is the reason for the season. We are done for today. We'll be back tomorrow, one more day before the holiday break. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll talk again tomorrow. Take care.